A stunning victory is in sight. It's the Givecast. The Star Wars Collector's Archive Podcast. A monthly audio magazine dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia. Hosted by Sky Payne, Fudd, and Stephen B. Dennis. Market data by Brisbane Brisbane Mike and Fratastic Pete. Tech support by the Lowbart. Let's go, space freaks. Sky and Steve talk about our favorite fish guy, Admiral Akbar, and the history of the name Revenge of the Jedi. Fratastic Pete, a.k.a. Coolio, joins us to talk at length about collecting Revenge and Return of the Jedi collectibles. All of our usual features come roaring back as we talk about vintage racers and unseen shelf talkers. Plus, a mega market watch with Pete himself. All this, plus Nicki Minaj on an emotional Kivecast 78. So, Sky's going to go on here for a couple minutes all about some weird personal details and stuff like that. If you just want to get to the toys into the episode, skip ahead to the eight-minute mark. Hey, Space Freaks. It's Sky. You know, I think our podcast is unlike a lot of others because we always mix in so much of our major life events. Um, I'm thinking about the show started and I moved across the country and started a new job. Uh, we went through my entire divorce. We went through the courtship, the engagement, and the actual wedding of Steve. And as I mentioned last month, uh, my mom died. And uh, it's taken us a while to, to do the funeral. So we're actually going to do the funeral uh, the day after tomorrow. Um, well, actually, no, on Friday. So it's the Tuesday of Thanksgiving. And I thought, well, let's get this episode out so people can have it while they're driving. And then I'll start it with this insanely depressing beginning. No, I don't want it to be depressing. Um, you know, I love my mom, obviously, and, and it'll be sad. But I have all this other stuff to do today. Um, I have, you know, about 40 to 50 papers to grade and about 30 exams to grade and lessons to plan. My house is a mess. All this stuff. I have to get ready to go. Uh, we're going down to Little Compton, Rhode Island for the funeral. But instead of doing all of that, I'm actually just going to sit here and edit the podcast. And uh, I realize that this is... Uh, something not only I enjoy doing, but it's also very therapeutic. And I think for those who collect, um, because we collect stuff, we get so focused on stuff. Um, but really, it's the it's the connections between the collectors that really matter the most. So I think about that a lot because last weekend we had the 11th meeting of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club. Now, I invited everybody who heard the podcast to come. And, uh, well, we had about 20 people here. Steve was in India or something. I don't know why he couldn't come. I don't know what Steve is doing in India. Um, hey, Steve, what are you doing in India? Anyway, I'm sure you'll tell us next month in episode 79. But uh, it was just this great time. I mean, we went to the National uh, Toy Hall of Fame. Um, I was able to put up all my 48 Bs that had never been on display all together. Um, I even put up all my troopies. I put up all my 21 backs. Uh, it was just a really nice, fun experience. We had a sleepover party. We had about eight people staying here. Um, there are people I didn't know that well, people I didn't know at all, and then old friends that I've known for years and years and years. And I think it was the first time since my mom died where I was really able to just kind of let myself go and just sort of be happy. And uh, that's just a powerful thing that, that we're able to do. So if you... If you want to reach out uh, to collectors and get to know them, I, I say do it. 
Um, there's lots of other kind of fun things that happened. I'm not just talking about the part where Yehuda Aaron and I put on animal masks and performed a concert for everybody. Um, there was, uh, I made an unboxing video, which I'm going to put up on, uh, on, on YouTube. Um, I sort of did it as a joke. Um, and then also this other part, and if you've been following our Facebook feed, you know about this. But uh, last month, you know, I talked about, uh, about all of the Star Wars toys that must be hiding in my parents' attic and storage space and stuff. Well, my two brothers, uh, Amos and Ward, have been helping to clean things up and to get things organized, um, especially since my mom's passing. And so my brother went down to Little Compton, Rhode Island, and he found a 41-back troopie. And then my, my other brother, Ward, went to the storage space and found a couple things. And I just want to talk about them now because they're of interest. He found two Star Wars lunchboxes. One is the Empire Strikes Back lunchbox. And then the other was the particularly rare, it turns out, uh, Star Wars first edition lunchbox. And it's cool because that one actually has all these uh, Pac-Man stickers on the inside. But in one of them was a 47-back AT-AT commander and a 20-back, a 21-back, no, a 20-back Star Wars troopy. So I sort of have this accidental troopy focus going on here. Um, and then on top of that, in the other lunchbox were all my childhood toys. Now... If you're a loyal space freak, you know, I don't go for nostalgia. I think it's stupid. I don't think it's stupid, but it's not the thing that I love about collecting. It's thinking about when I was a kid and holding my toys and all that stuff. I like it, even though the way I just said that makes me sound like a complete jerk. But like that's not really what does it for me. I'm much more in the mind, a lot more uh, intellectual and less maybe emotional. But obviously, I'm a little bit more emotional these days. So the fact that this lunchbox was filled with these toys. My mom must have bought me the toys, must have bought me the lunchbox. Um, and I was able to take it out and I was able to see my childhood Chewbacca, which I didn't even know still existed. Uh, I was able to find my Gamorrean Guard, which was my second favorite toy of all the Star Wars line, and my original Boba Fett, which, as uh, loyal space freaks know, was my favorite toy because my mom would throw away all the guns. And the, the wrist rocket was the only gun you couldn't take away from a Star Wars character. So it was this really just great moment of reconnecting with my childhood and sort of honoring my mom while all at the same time getting to use this as an excuse to talk about my podcast to all you guys out there. And then at the, at the meeting, you know, I, I was able to open up the box and show it to everybody. And it was this kind of fun event. Of sort of finding things in the wild, but not really in the wild, more like finding things in my own backyard. So, well, let's get back to the, the actual episode and have fun. Um, I actually have, my dad is already down in Massachusetts taking care of some stuff, um, and uh, so I'm taking care of his very skinny and always freezing cold dachshund, Ellie. So Ellie is right here on my lap while I'm recording. Um, she has the worst breath of any animal in existence. So hopefully she will not uh, open her mouth at any point during the editing of this podcast. So it's Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Let's see if I get this puppy cranked out uh, before the end of the day, before I got to go, go get my kids. And uh, thank you for joining uh, Steve and I in talking about Star Wars and talking about all of our weird life 
experiences because uh, we are all human beings. That was a stupid ending. Wampa Wampa. Welcome to Kivecast number 78. Yes, yeah, Steve, this is a first time ever thing for us. Yeah. Um, I'm actually currently editing 77. Um, I'm about halfway through. I just recorded the interview with my brother that everyone nice. heard last last week. Right on. And uh, I'm about maybe a quarter of the way editing it. Um, but we just decided to record this interview early because we wanted to get to Fantastic Pete. We want to keep going with sort of quicker episodes. So yeah. we, we just sort yeah. of set it. And uh, so when we last left it, I was not watching the first game of the playoff series for the Red Sox. Oh, man. And uh, we've now lost. And uh, and Steve just got done watching the Dodgers almost lose. So he's a little bit fanatic. Are you okay, Steve? There, I'm a little little hypertense. And almost losing is something I'm very accustomed to seeing. Usually it ends up just being losing. But that was a very... <laughs> That was a very much almost losing more than winning, but yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, talking some Admiral Akbar will, will put me at ease. <laughs> I thought you were almost going to say talking some wars. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, I love the Rebel Force Radio, but I do hold them responsible for spreading the term. I, 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 will, never, I will never forget uh, that, that poolside interaction in Orlando. I now, quick never... question. That's very erotic. Now, quick question, yeah. Steve. <laughs> what do you prefer, calling Star Wars the wars or calling Stormtroopers troopies? Oh, God. You really put me on the spot, huh? Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to side with you begrudgingly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> My troopies. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Um,. It's funny because I, I usually write up the, the outline, but today my nephew is visiting, and so I just said, Steve, do everything. Uh, <laughs> so Steve did everything, and he sent it to me, and it's very exciting. It's given me more time to think about my movie thoughts and my sky Good, blues, good, so. good. <laughs> good. And I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts. Before I even get <sighs> into the movie thought, mm-hmm. I just you know, I realized something, right? So uh, this is going to be a, a long story. Not that long of a story, but as you may know, uh, my cousin is Chris Payne, who directed the Who Killed the Electric Car movie, <laughs> and, and he's like a famous sort of Culver City, Santa Monica, I don't know, like, not socialite, but sort of an activist and, and that kind of guy. Yeah. And he has a, a dog named Akbar. Really? <laughs> yeah. have, we, have we talked about this before? I don't think so. <laughs> Okay, I don't think so either. <laughs> and and so, and he takes the dog on a plane because it's a it's a service dog or whatever. Okay. And realize that's the last name you want to have because if you call after the dog, you're screaming in the middle of an airplane, Akbar, Akbar. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and you know that's obviously an off-color joke, but a frequent thing <laughs> that is said by terrorists right before they decide to commit suicide in the name of what they perceive to be their god, they scream Allahu Akbar saying, God is great. And uh, Oh, oh man. That is a deep cut right there. <laughs> it's a deep cut, but then it made me think, is Akbar supposed to be Arabic? Uh, well, I guess, how do they spell it? It's the same, I mean, it's it's written in whatever, squiggly. Well, yeah, as, but what was the like, trans, trans, 
transliterated version. It's transliterated <laughs> as Akbar, A C K B A R. I mean, it's, okay. it's a name. People call it Akbar. So I, I was wondering, yeah, interesting. Like, you know, people who live in the desert wear lots of white. He wears white. Um, <laughs> there's no stereotype about like squids and people from the Middle East. So there's nothing weird and racist. <laughs> not not that I'm aware of. <laughs> but anyway, I was, you know, he does. He's a oh, kind of the guttural. <laughs> Uh, you know, because you know Arabic is a very guttural language. You know, umshi. You know, it's kind of like really low down there. It's hard to pronounce. <laughs> so, we we successfully named the Bespin security guard the Asian security guard. Yeah, we did. That's right. So maybe Admiral Akbar is Arab. I don't know. What do you think, Steve? I I mean, given the the, the like logic of our show, I'd say <laughs> it's it's <laughs> applicable within. That context, sure. Why not? <laughs> That's a great way to say no, Steve. <laughs> I'm getting good. I'm trying to get better at that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm. I'm th- I, that's my new theory. Because why? Else? Right. Because Akbar means great, right? Like that's that's what it means in Arabic. So okay. his name means great admiral. They could have named him something else. It's not like yeah. They were really on the money about him being a squid person because they named his species Mon Calamari. Yeah, know? that's let alone nose. <laughs> so maybe this is on the nose, you know? Yeah. The only problem is I don't think there's any famous like fleet from the Middle East. Mm. I, I think most of like the, the great armies were horseback. So Yeah, that's that's true. Huh. Anyway, anyone out there, uh, sort of medieval historians, want to tell us yeah. about uh, any great navies? That would be great. Any great Arab <laughs> navies of the Middle Ages? Yeah. <laughs> so how's Star Wars, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's pretty crazy these days, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I did um, go to, to Rogue uh, One Day, you went whatever that was. Rogue, Rogue One Day? I was going to ask if you guys went for it. I know you went with the kids last year, but it seemed like this time it was very – there's very little fanfare. Yeah, I you know, I got the new girl figure for my girl. Uh, okay. And uh, then we actually ended up getting this awesome toy from Toys R Us. It's called Wacky Monkey filled with candy, and it's a uh, it's a little plastic. And it's monkey. not Star Wars related. No, it's not. But it's a monkey who like slams his hands together with these like little symbols. Uh huh. And uh, I bought an entire case. Like I, it's the greatest toy. If you if you're so near is it, Toys is it like R Us, a, is it like a Pez thing, like where it's like a toy slash candy dispenser. No, yeah, sort of. It's it's like there's a tube underneath okay. the monkey, so it's really kind of ancillary. But you can you can play it like a maraca with the shaking. Ah. Thing. You can shake the symbols like a tambourine, and then you can slap them together, and. Uh, yeah. Hey, that sounds like a worthy purchase on on Rogue Rogue One Day. <laughs> <laughs> Rogue One Day. Uh, uh, awesome. So, I haven't heard much from you, Steve. Are you going to? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I guess we should say what we're talking about. What are we talking about this month? So, I think we decided last month, rather than having a, a mega episode, we were going to have the next one be Akbar slash Revenge of the Jedi. Right? That was going to be kind of our, our dual theme for for this month. Right, because we haven't really gone into Revenge of the Jedi yeah. collectibles that much. And right. so we're going to have Fantastic Pete uh, join us. Yes, yeah. Who is... He's a big, big Return of the Jedi slash Revenge of the Jedi collector. And I, I remember like months ago, he'd ask, like, whenever you get into that stuff, I would love to come on. So finally, 
finally we're at that point. So yeah, it's, it should be good. I don't know what he does for a living, but it was easier to get a hold of Rick Springfield than it is to schedule an interview with Pete. I, I just remember last time he was coming back from the airport, right? Like, yeah, he's always like in an airport. He's like on the move. He's like, yeah, you know, actually, uh, I got an interview uh, in Azerbaijan, and and then after that, I just I've, I've got this thing in Lesotho, but then I'll be back, and it's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be good to have him uh, get back on though. But this is exciting, Steve, because you love Akbar. Is that right? I do. I mean, I, I mean, Return of the Jedi was the movie I grew up with, and it was also those are the toys I grew up with. And for whatever reason, I had a ton of Admiral Akbar figures from whenever that you know bargain bin purchase that my mom and I, I had all these Akbar figures, and I I knew that I had to kind of assign one of them to be Admiral Akbar, and the rest I just kind of made the other fish guys. So it worked out really well, but I've I've always really loved that figure and and it kind of turned out a way to, you know, create a second run for for my collection which we can get into later, I'm, I'm sure, but um right, so you it's his side focus. But yeah. Steve, we've talked about this very uh, about 77 episodes ago. So there's <laughs> a specific one specific run to one specific toy store that that was the one that got you all these Akbars. You got them all at once? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, this is probably on the the first episode. Yeah. Um but Which basically do not listen to under any circumstances. Do, do not at all. Please <laughs> god, do not listen to that. Um anyway, so I'll I'll re- try and recap it here briefly, but um it was probably 1988 maybe 1989 but we had a local KB Toys in Santa Barbara which is now you know, long defunct. Um but they as a lot of vintage collectors probably know, they a lot of later figures were kind of sold there on the cheap um so being obsessed with star wars and having a couple of the the earlier figures from my older half brother um my mom on a whim just went down there with me one night to see if there was any chance they had any star wars toys and they had a bunch of return of the jedi characters and then a couple of uh power of the force and then droids characters so i she basically bought them all for my brother and i for like i think 50 cents a pop um so we ended up with you know, that's how I ended up with a bunch of viewing pilots and we had a bunch of Akbars and Jedi, you know, Jabba guys, things like that. But that's that's kind of where my collecting stems from. So with Akbar, he was kind of like the second my second hero. <laughs> right. And so you you assigned the viewing pilot to be Luke. Yes. And then yeah. one Akbar was Akbar and every other Akbar was fish guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, just the other fish guys. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, Steve. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about Akbar all day because you you wrote the outline. And doesn't it seem to you that they were really hoping he would be a big deal? I mean, you kind of get the impression based on the fact that he was I mean, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, he was the the first kind of teaser figure, the transitional figure for the line and um which is what you're all about with your 48Bs, right? So Right, right. I mean, that's I think, yeah, of course, I talked about it on the last show about the origin of the 48B run and why I yeah. went 48B instead of 48C. Yeah, But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it it was exciting to me. Um, we're going to talk later about uh, about some promotional material, but I was actually just watching the commercial for the Abbey yeah. Akbar figure today. Right. I noticed a few things. One, it was, I think that there's no more figures of kids playing. Mm-hmm. I think after... As of Return of the Jedi, it's all just some guy talking in front of a bunch of figures. Yeah, um, yeah. But then I realized the do you do you know the uh, expiration date of the Akbar offer? 
Uh, not off the top of my head, Just take no. a guess. So, let's see. I would guess probably like sometime in the sp- spring, summer, 83? January 31st, 1983. Wow. So it was that's really early. Really, really early. Yeah, that's right. Man, and so, I mean, you know, we talked to, to CJ uh, last month all about uh, all about the, the original figures and when they came out, and I, I right. got to you know, exercise my trademark. The trademark is stupidity. <laughs> but yeah, I just realized how long it must have been. I mean, if I were paying attention back then, I would have looked at this figure and like, in five months, I'm going to get to see who this guy is. Right. And, and there is something to be said for the figure that introduces the next movie. Yeah. You, know, you had Fett, and then you had... Um. Yeah, and then you had Akbar. Yeah, and yeah. They don't exactly go together. You know? <laughs> well, I don't know if Fed is supposed to. Introduce, I guess you'd say it could be Bosk, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's arguable. I mean, but you're right though. With Akbar, I didn't even realize you're totally right. It was such a long period of of buildup. <laughs> it just like when did they put out that like battle droid figure for Episode One, <laughs> right, yeah. or Mace Windu, or whatever it was. Right, it's pretty similar as far as the buildup goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like they were really trying to sell him there. I also yeah. think, as far as people who study Star Wars and everything, Lucas has sort of tried to retcon why there weren't more not-white British guys in that Star Wars. That is also true. <laughs> like, there's no non-white British guys in the Empire or the Rebellion. Right, and so I think this was their real attempt to be like, we're going to put an Arabic fish man, and he's going <laughs> to run this to the ground, Steve. And diversity, and this is going to be our our attempt at diversity, and also just kind of like, you know, wildness. You know, like yeah, who's this yeah. wild fish guy, and why is he wearing a jumpsuit? <laughs> um, it almost looks like he has like he's missing the the like glass bowl for his astronaut suit. I don't know if you get that impression. He has the collar, but his little like dome is gone. I almost feel like if this movie was made today, Lucas would put the stupid (laughs) astronaut globe over his head. I don't know why. It would be filled with water so that he could. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And also subtitled as well. Yeah. Also his, his collar reminds me of, uh, what they wear in the future in Bill and Ted's. Oh, yeah. You're totally right. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but speaking of a foreign language, Steve, I think you have a pretty cool flip the script. Would you like to flip it, flip it? Yeah, let's do it. It's getting really, really hot here. Flip the script. Flip the script. All right. So I, I sent this to you in advance mainly because you have my favorite Admiral Akbar impression. I, I wanted you to read it. Okay. <laughs> I'll, read the, I'll read the setup, but yeah, the actual line I just... Legible or full sky? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll we could legible, just, just go with... Full sky. Yeah, give it two takes and we'll see which, <laughs> which we end up with. But to set it up, um, with this being finally like getting into Revenge of the Jedi, I was really curious about kind of the history of that title, which we can get into in a bit. But in terms of the scripts, I was looking for... Akbar references, and in a book that I often go to, the, the annotated screenplays by uh, what was it, Laurent uh, Berzero? Berzero, um, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, Revenge of the Jedi script in the early versions, the Empire was building two Death Stars, which were orbiting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just 
figures, right? Yeah. It orbiting the capital world of Had Abaddon, which had a sanctuary moon by the name of Jus Endor. So you see all these kind of bits that would come out later, but it, that's a crazy setup to me, which sounds kind of awesome, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so that that's interesting in itself and i I, there's this uh site i don't i didn't have access to one of those revenge scripts but there's one that's been online for years at this site site called star killer the jedi bendu script site which based on the description of the story in the book it it seems to corroborate but it's not completely verified but i thought what what the hell why not pick pick our first akbar appearance uh from that okay so this this takes place on the rebel flagship there's a similar scene just like there is in the in the finished movie but uh here so here we go admiral akbar a pale blue non-human creature moves to the center of the stage he speaks in an unusual language that is translated by a computer and transmitted to the commander's headphones <laughs> you have all been briefed on your targets green group will attack the death star red group will attack the hamadon Group group will attack the Imperial fleet here and the planet's surface here and here. If the Empire is to fall, all of the objects must be destroyed. <laughs> so, oh man, I don't know if we could just pull Jordan and say, oh, that's good, that's cool. <laughs> well, the thing is, I went from Akbar to uh, Doc <laughs> Brown to Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you do a perfect Akbar. You yeah, a little, little bit of Zoidberg in there too, right? <laughs> the problem is that, like, if in the original he was translated by a computer, then it actually would have yeah. had like a cool vocoder thing, probably. In the right, original. right. Yeah, and I, I thought that was also kind of funny was his description as a a pale blue creature, which I don't know if you watched the Rogue One like Comic Con or whatever, but there's a pale blue fish guy. Right. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny to see that come back. In some small way, I like. I wonder if they are actually like cognizant of the fact that Akbar was originally going to be blue, and that's why they're they're using it. But anyway, just a fun side note. But uh... <laughs> yeah, and the way I would have done it if I'd done it full sky was. One legible word in there. Yes, I'll probably have to edit that out. Oh. <laughs> uh. All right, but uh, you know, as we as we've been putting the movie thought kind of here and there, I, as you know, uh, my favorite, maybe my favorite part in all Star Wars movies is Darth Vader's quiet head nod to the side when right uh, after Luke leaves off the bridge on the yeah. AT-80. Yeah, and there's a moment that I wonder with, uh, and it's funny because last last month it was the what, so that was very much a sound <laughs> moment. Yeah. But my favorite Akbar moment is not the it's a trap, which I want to mm-hmm. talk about in a second anyway. But it's yeah. the point where he like lowers his head. He kind of slouches in his chair with relief. But is he doing that in relief or is he doing that in grief? Oh. Because I read that as grief, as in this guy, because it was right after the kamikaze pilot takes out the bridge. Yeah. I saw it yeah. as like, that was one pilot who had to go. <laughs> you know? like, yeah hey there's 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 some added weight to it i mean it always was kind of like it, it is kind of similar to your your vader head turn for for akbar but hey that's right. that's a good I, that's a good idea yeah i just i i wonder if you could read that as grief that, that's it's yeah grief it's yeah it's def i could see grief in there as part of it <laughs> with, with tim rose in that giant suit 
<laughs> uh, who recently died too, which is interesting. Really? Oh no, he didn't. No, the voice guy died. Yeah, 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 yeah. The oh, voice so actor. Fun of a dead guy. I'm sorry, dead guy. Huh. Oh. Huh. <laughs> Way to bring it down, Steve. Hey, <laughs> it's not the first time. <laughs> and another question I had, I had was, when did the trap? When did it's a trap become a thing? Yeah, yeah. I think it, I don't know. It was 2004, maybe. I mean, it it hasn't always been a thing, right? No, no. I mean, I don't. Not the way it is now. I, I think I think you have to say like early 2000s um, at the at the earliest. Was was there some unifying? Was there was there like some reference on one <sighs> video that was the thing that started it? Like, just, I don't know. We don't know the answer, Steve. So I'm putting that out no. to, out to Space Freaks. Put it in your comments or wherever the heck we're supposed to find you telling us that you like our show. <laughs> um, where did It's a Trap become so famous? Because yeah. obviously it's a great line, but I never thought about it up until people started pointing it out. Yeah, um, uh, it definitely has achieved this like second life as a pop culture thing, which, yeah, it's it's interesting. And, uh, boy, Steve, this is, this is good so far. I like this. <laughs> it's getting back to the, the normal routine, right? I'm doing the episode seven thing. <clears throat> We're good friends. This is going well. Oh. <laughs> positivity yeah Pass positivity yeah I I don't know Steve if I even really want to go too deep into the 48 B's um, except to say that you know I do have a 13 now which is pretty good that's, that's, that's up yeah two um, six months ago yeah sustained growth um, in the in the b52 room yep and uh, it's six proofs of purchases which I thought was interesting I hadn't really thought yeah. about that and the funny thing is, I don't have the mailer, and I don't even care about the mailer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. Like, does it? Does the actual like thing itself have any interest to you? <laughs> no, but but really, it was just when I started collecting, I thought, well, whatever says revenge must be the most valuable, because yeah. I thought that was just the coolest thing. And so that's yeah. sort of the the origin of, of my passion for the forty eight piece. But I am getting yeah. an idea of the ones that are the most common, the ones that are the rarest. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. as I move along, I think we can come back to it. But I think I've talked enough about 48Bs in the last couple of months. <laughs> we'll just uh, insert some selfie shots of you here with whatever music of your choice. Yes. <laughs> Although, if there is enough demand for the calendar, we might make a, we might make a couple of the calendars. Just to uh, I, yeah, I think someone else needs to see these things aside from me, just for my own mental health. <laughs> And I do have a couple Skyku, Steve. Yes, I, I um, this is one I have. I have to say, I've been looking forward to. Oh no. <laughs> well, they don't. They're not very good this month, so don't <laughs> don't look forward to them. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, okay. So we'll just sort of do the one that uh, ties in. You know, actually, they're both sort of about about the about the the character. Okay, that's that's so, all right. Here we go. Mon Calamari flies through squid ink, space darkness, lowers head in grief. <laughs> uh, very, very deep. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. The second All right, one. What's number two? White jumpsuit, fish eyes. Admiral warns us of traps. Lowers head in joy. <laughs> See the duality there. That's that's yes. good. I actually just changed it on the fly there. <laughs> oh, okay. I had to think. 
what's a one syllable word for the opposite of grief? <laughs> and I went with joy. Uh, so, hey, fair enough. Uh, nice. Lowers. I have to type it in here. Head in joy. Because I got to make this guy coo card backs again. Yes. Yes. I will definitely be bidding on on the Akbar or Akbars if there is one. <laughs> oh yes. Um, yeah. Initially, Good. I said something about Akbar and. Akbar means greatness. That was the the original last uh, line. Okay, that's good too. Maybe I'll do three of them, Steve. Hey, why not? <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I think are we going to talk to Pete now? Are we done with all of our our pre show banter? I I think so. Because uh, yeah, up next we had just some revenge history, so we could we could call Pete. I think. Well, I think he'd be interested in that, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think so too. Oh, the last thing I was going to say was. You know how like the the hottest music right now in hip hop and has been for the last couple of years is called trap music. You know that? Uh, I mean, I'm, that sounds vaguely familiar, but okay. yeah, sure. Well, well, trap music is like really tinny high hats, um, uh, really like low bass, and it just sounds mm-hmm. like really dark and very sparse. Okay. Um, just every time someone mentions trap music, I just <laughs> and then also trap is rap slang for crack house. So, oh boy, <laughs> I see the makings of a of a sky song here. I don't want to you know encourage you, but knowing your your inclinations toward hip hop, that that could be something. But it just makes it just makes me think about like uh, like instead of Admiral Akbar, if it were Officer Akbar, <laughs> and, and he and he like had to burst into a crack house. <laughs> oh, just, oh boy, yeah. we're getting real real dark. Yeah. <laughs> Officer Akbar. <laughs> I spent 40 years in the Navy. Okay. This is definitely a sign we need to call Pete. Yeah, I think so. All right. Let's get uh, let's get down down to the frat house. Tell me nothing. But we 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 sent you the 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 outline. This is actually pretty cool. We've now talked to you like twice in the last six months. Um, poor Brisbane Brisbane Mike. I feel like we're never going to get him on the show, but. I know, poor guy. I mean, you know, like a 10-hour time difference, so even from where Steven is, so it's crazy, yeah. man. It's a little little crazy, but one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even when we text each other back and forth, it's like, I'll send it one day, and he'll respond the next, and then I'll respond the day after that, and he'll respond the day after that. Oh, hey, yeah, that's what I do, too. Yeah. So anyone who texts me <laughs> and thinks it takes a long time, it's because I'm in Australia, too. Oh, that's a great excuse. I hadn't have thought of that. Oh, perfect. Uh, perfect. There you go. I should tell the people I work with that that's why I don't respond to my emails very quickly. <laughs> nice. So so we've been going over the, the history of Revenge of the Jedi. I think that's what Steve wanted to do now. Um, so okay. because, so is, that, is that right? Are you like a, a, a revenge collector, Pete? So I am a Jedi collector, so anything that says Jedi on the package from the vintage toy line, I kind of focus on. So kind of similar to Brock in a lot of ways. Um, So, you know, you're a Chewie-focused collector. Lobart loves Lobot. I just collect everything from the Jedi series. So, um, and it's 
started off just as trying to be kind of a mint on card collector, trying to get a few different cards and it's like, okay, the Jedi ones are definitely the cheapest to get because I didn't want to invest a lot in when I first started collecting mint on card stuff. Right. But then it progressed and I'm like, okay, well, now I've got the bounty hunters and the cantina cl- figures that I want. It's like, but you know what? Why not just get the original 12 on a Jedi card? And then it turned out to the original 48 and then it was a full collection. And then I just kept going from there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, well, good. Yeah, I think – I don't think any of us are – I don't know if there's anybody who really specializes that much. It, you know, you'd think there would be more people who collect revenge stuff, but I can't think of anybody who really goes super hard. Yeah, on like that. Items. That specifically, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think that with everybody, like everybody that I know that has a set of, of like the revenge cards or focuses on it, it's either part of you know a character focus or they try to get the whole 50 set and you know it's part of a bigger focus and I can't even name many people off the top of my head except for you know myself or Jeff Jacobs um, Sean Lemcool that I even know that have all 50 cards because um, I think a lot of people have segmented it out over the years right but um, and we haven't even you know, talked about those yet we haven't even talked about what, what, what Steve what is he talking about <laughs> the, the revenge proof cards yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we have a we have a whole a whole slate of stuff um both so, revenge and return so it's it's good so should we talk about the revenge of the jedi proof cards now or the history of the title revenge of the jedi i'm gonna let you decide pete why don't we have uh steven do his best george lucas voice and try and tell us a little bit about um the revenge of the jedi title itself yes <laughs> let, 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 let's hear right. that, uh, george danley all right. Well, to, to preface that, um, when I was trying to figure out the, the bottom line on this, because you, you hear a lot of things over the years, and some things are kind of consistently documented and others are not. But when I was really trying to find something from the mouth of George Lucas, it just it was so typical for me, like where it, it was just all fully explained, uh, always that plan to be that way, et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> this is a... This is from the annotated screenplay book, which also has some great uh, tidbits from our good old uh, episode one producer, Rick McCallum, which just get under my skin. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> I, I this is a impersonation <laughs> of him, but I'd be accused of yeah, homophobia. See, it... <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's not gay. Right, so... he, he talks as though he's doing uh, an imitation from like the 19. 19- he, he sounds like Eddie Murphy doing a gay guy's voice. Oh man! You know, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But just All right, to get that, to the that's, that's that Steve is talking about. Steve yeah. is talking about okay. why did they change it? Because Lucas sometimes says it's one reason, one time it's another. So I just I always have to yep. set the table because everyone goes too yep. far. Okay, go ahead, Steve. Yep. Here we go. Well, by the time we got down to doing the third film, we had so many difficulties with people trying to port stuff with the media and the press and everything. We called the film Revenge of the Jedi to throw people off. How's that so far? Dude, it's amazing. I had no idea you had to <laughs> keep going. I think this is I can do like George Lucas and Kermit the Frog. So, <laughs> okay, um, right, here we go. Title was always intended to be Return of the Jedi, but when we made the film under the code name Revenge of the Jedi, unfortunately, what happened is Fox started promoting the film before we could tell them not to use the title. We were lucky they didn't start promoting the film under the title Blue Harvest because we were also using that as a bogus title. Which, that's what George Lucas said in 1997, which is just, when you look back at the evidence, just doesn't really <laughs> seem no. right. No. And I like I like his uh, use of the term bogus title. Because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is what Blue Harvest is. That, that was 
a bogus title, but yeah, the whole revenge thing just doesn't doesn't quite sit right with me. <laughs> um, no, not at all. I mean, even in what was it, Empire of Dreams, the the documentary that came with the DVDs, you know, they yeah. talked. Kurtz and other people were saying, you know, it was Blue Harvest, you know, horror beyond imagination, and they never even talk about revenge until, hey, we made this last minute change. So yeah, right, I don't buy right, it. Yeah. That was one thing I was going to mention too. Is that with that documentary, like they say, they say that he initially intended to, intended to call it Return of the Jedi, but then changed it to Revenge when Kasdan told him that Return was weak. Which I also don't. It just, <laughs> I don't know. Wait, so um, it was Return, and then Kasdan said that Return was weak and changed it to Revenge. Yeah, and then it went back to Return, but I don't buy that either. Um, and that, and then the reason I don't. Um, is I was trying to figure out what the actual titles on the screenplays were over the years, and they the very first one that's documented, even in you know the, the annotated screenplays book, has the revenge title. It's February twentieth, nineteen eighty one. There's a couple more nineteen eighty one drafts by George that are titled "Revenge of the Jedi." Then they have a story conference, and then there's a draft with Kasdan that's "Revenge of the Jedi," and it's not until November of eighty one where Return of the Jedi uh, is officially on the script. And Wait, really? That actually, yeah, yeah, and that That's actually... That's really early. It, it's it's yeah. early. Why there's such a gap there? Because you had all the revenge stuff being promoted well through 1982, so I, I don't really know. Okay, all right. So yeah. I think that the... I think Kasdan's explanation makes sense, that he said it was weak, and then George listened to him, and then George's mm-hmm. like... I mean, I can't I'm doing do it my but uh, I'm George Lucas. Uh, I do, uh, I do what I want. You know, Han Solo must live. Han does not die. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just anyway. went full Kermit. But, uh, <laughs> no, that way, I started, I started to tilt, turn to Kermit. I got to yeah, stop. You also right. had an interesting quote from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette two days before yeah, the yeah. movie opened, 1983. Right. Right. So this this is another kind of. Well, I like to look look at things that are actually from the time to see what what the the take was. So this is, yeah, May 25th, 1983. The true believers take the saga so seriously that they succeeded in having the new movie's title changed. It was announced as Revenge of the Jedi, and for at least six months, theaters showed previews with that title. It was changed only two months ago, however, when Lucas yielded to protests from fans who insisted that the Jedi Knights should be above such negative motivations as vengeance. So... That's and that kind of feeds into the whole thing about you hear people always comment, "Oh, Jedi would never seek revenge." So it's funny to see like a trace of that way back in '83. Right. Yeah, it, it's I don't know. I, I can't I can't figure it out exactly. Oh, I but... figured out, Steve. Here's the answer. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> All right. Based yeah. on the evidence you've given me, I have the most clear answer. Okay. The title was originally "Revenge of the Jedi." Mm-hmm. George Lucas himself changed it to Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Larry Kasdan said, that's kind of a weak name. You should change it to Revenge of the Jedi. And Lucas mm-hmm. listened to him. He yeah. then got some fan mail and said, well, that's kind of what I was thinking anyway, so I'll change it back. He got embarrassed that he would allow himself to ever be told what to do by anyone as lowly as Larry <laughs> Kasdan. So instead of admitting that, he just said, oh, yeah, this was always intentional. We were always going to change the name and the title. Game set. There you go. That's the answer. I think that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This other reason you put in, Steve, is complete malarkey. 
Oh, said, the, oh, the 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 uh, the Star Trek one. Right. That the the working yeah, title yeah, no. Star Trek Two was the Vengeance yeah. of Khan. That. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that I, I would believe that, but that's just one of those other commonly cited little right. tidbits, which I right. thought was funny. So, uh, so there you yeah. go. We've we've solved the Revenge of the Jedi mystery. Good job, Steve. <laughs> Thanks for for taking <laughs> the evidence and and deducing. Yes. Well. I am Officer Akbar. Uh, oh, just so you know, uh, Coolio, we've um, we've started a new TV show where Admiral Akbar retires from the Navy and becomes a police officer, and it's called Officer. Oh, Akbar. that's spe- that's that's spectacular, man! I I can't wait to see that come out. Does it have any tie into the whole Admiral Akbar serial? It could. Yeah, that could. It could. Be, that could be one of the the main sponsors. And we're just we're gonna keep working on it, you know. I mean, we we were really close to what happened with episode seven, um, in our episode seven predictions. So, <laughs> all right, so uh, let, let's very get nice. Back, let's get back to toys. So, Steve, yeah. you have some you have some stuff here about toys. Where would you like to start? You know, I want to talk about Revenge of the Jedi proof cards, actually. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start because that's they're a big, they're long running topic i think for for collectors they're kind of like a gateway to proof cards in my mind so um pete you probably know more generally than, than we do and this is one of the talking points that you had sent us too so right. feel free to jump in but but remember yeah, act, act like you're not talking to us act like you're talking to somebody <laughs> who knows even less than we do so what what is a revenge of the jedi proof card Oh my goodness. So I, I, first off, I love how Steve calls them like a gateway to proof cards. Like, you know, this is the marijuana of proof cards at the end of the day. People start <laughs> using it and then go on to harder stuff, which to be honest is a great analogy because of the fact that this is the most common proof card out there. So, you know, we've already kind of established exactly the name change and what happened there. These cards were basically created before the name change took place. So as Kenner's going through and starting to get ready for production on the line. You know, they'd started on the hard copies and everything probably about nine to 12 months out from that. They get to, you know, five, six months out from the movie and they start printing some cards to do the mock-ups. Um, and, you know, it's just, you know, let's get the logo centered. We got the final logo from Lucas at this point in time. We know what the mail away is going to be. Um, we know that what's going on with Akbar, but we also have Neen Nund. Um, you know, we're going to start to kind of put together what that transition is going to be. So just like the uh, 21 backs on Empire Strikes Back, the 48 backs, which are basically mirrored by the Revenge cards, were basically the transition set. All of the figures from the previous two movies on uh, logo-based Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Jedi type proof. So basically, you know, there's a lot of lore around Revenge of the Jedi, and there's a lot of questions about, you know, how did these originate, where did they come from, and things of that nature. I'm not going to sit here and give you guys a specific answer. All I have to say is people need to kind of do their research through the archive, through other collectors, um, but I'll give kind of some generalities of what they were. Um, And basically, at the end of the day, the cards themselves, there's 50 total. So let's just establish that. There's 50 total, 48 that were released as 48 backs. And then um, what's called the blank card, the template card, the miss card, whatever you want to call it, which is basically kind of a blank white um, card back with some remnants on it, a messed up knee and numb offer that's kind of like double imposed. And then the original R2, um, but not a complete original R2 card back. 
It's missing the R2 name. It's missing some other components to it. Um, but neither of those obviously were released with figures on them because they never brought forth um, C-3PO with removable or the original C-3PO or the original R2 on Jedi cards. Um, you know, the set of cards, um, it's kind of kind of the 50-50 rule. And this is where I have to kind of veer off and say this is just what I know and this is just what I've learned through the years. Okay. There's roughly 50, 50 sets of them out there. Um, that's kind of what the general thought process is. I would say, yeah, exactly. I actually think that's a little bit light, Um, especially because I've met collectors over the last years who aren't even on the grid that maybe have a full set of these or half set um, Mm -hmm. or kind of less um, pronounced or less known collectors who didn't really socialize in the community. So it's really tough to gauge what it is, but they are by far the most common proof cards of any of the movies. Um, you know, the 45 back Empire Strikes Backs are probably the second most common proof cards out there, but they're still a ways away from how common these actually became. Yeah, those are um, like magic mushrooms or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. Exactly. I, I don't do drugs, so I'm just going to pretend that's the next one. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll keep going with the lingo. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just shoot it in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's funny for me is as a collector, I remember the first time I kind of interacted with these was actually when I was still in high school. And when I say interacted, the first time I even really knew about them was in high school when um, the first Tomart book came out. Because the first mm. Tomart book yeah. actually had these listed in there. Um, you know, what the perceived value was, was, and it was funny because it just had one range for all the Revenge of the Jedi proof cards of, I think it was like 50 to $200. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know today the range between, you know, um, a uh, white Bespin guard, or what, what do you guys call the white Bespin guard again? Uh, Asian Bespin guard. The Asian Bespin guard to a Boba Fett, there's several thousand dollars in variance between those. Um, But with the proliferation of pre-production being so prominent over the last 10 to 15 years in collecting, um, these have become more and more popular. They've risen in price just like everything else. Um, And they really are kind of that starting point or that jumping off point for a lot of people getting into pre-production. So it's a really cool segment. I think that, you know, we're lucky that these popped up on the market, um, you know, whether through that big proof find or whatever happened back in the day, we're lucky that they came out here because they have created kind of a niche segment um, in the market that's really attainable for a focus collector or somebody who just wants something pre-production because the price points historically have been very, very attainable. Um, The lower price points, not too much more than most um, mint-on-card Jedi cards or even mint-on-card Empire Strikes Back um, cards. So... I think that's something that's led to their popularity. The fact that you have the first 48 on there is is very enticing at the same point in time, too, because you pretty much hit all of the major focus collectors' character sets in there, right. um, except for B-Wing Pilot. Sorry, Steven. Um, <laughs> and Akbar. Yeah. And Akbar. You know, yeah. You know. It's okay. So, so yeah, there's so, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and they're, they're – I mean um, – if you look at Kellerman, I actually have Kellerman open in front of me. He suggests that there are 25 to 40, but I've heard more than that. Um, I think 50 sounds mm-hmm. right. So when we talk about a, a gateway drug, that means there are 2,500 revenge proofs out there, which really is a lot when you think about when you yeah, think about yeah. uh, uh, pre-production items. And 
It's absolutely the gateway drug. Have I ever told the story, Steve, on this show about my first proof? Ah, uh, man. I, I don't know. I have. So, yeah. No. So the story is, you know, I as I said, I think last month, my goal was to get one of each, you know, a, a chewy on a Star Wars Empire Jedi, right? And I right. went with a 48C because I wanted something that said Revenge of the Jedi on it to represent that yeah. little era. But then I thought, well, actually, it's not that hard to get one of these uh, proof cards with Chewbacca. So I went to cloudcity.com, which was the, the place to get carded figures, the store to get carded figures 15 years, yeah. 11 years ago. And they had one for sale. And it was 350 bucks. And I remember I was in family student housing at University of California, Santa Barbara. Yeah. I remember I ordered it in my little room, one of the houses of the Chuseum. And I got an email back saying, I'm sorry, this is out of stock. And I wrote this email. That is one of the funniest emails. First of all, it shows the impatience because you know, I've seen, I don't know, 20 of them for sale in the past you know, 11 years. But I thought this was my only chance. I thought, I'm never going to get a proof card. Never, ever, ever, ever. And so I wrote this email that was like, Dear Cloud City, it is unacceptable that you said you have something on your website and you don't have it in person. I would expect <laughs> this kind of behavior from an establishment such as Brian's Toys, but I would never expect it from you. Sincerely. You're starting to get into Simpsons comic guy there. <laughs> I was. And then, of course, you were. Cloud City got bought by Brian's Toys, so... <laughs> but I, but then when I did finally get one, I was so excited, and that's what's the, that's what's the thing is not only are they abundant, but they're so cool because they fill a role in your collection that nothing else can. It's as close as you're yeah. gonna get to a carded uh, Revenge of the Jedi figure, and I've never heard anyone answer this. Why do you know? Okay, so first of all, there's the R two D two. Everyone likes to talk about the R two D two because that's the a weird out of place kind of you had, you outlier had, right you hadn't yeah. seen the original r2 image as we discussed a couple months ago uh until the, the 41 back you didn't see it and then you see it here but chewbacca has an orange nameplate did you know that steve hmm. uh you know what i i don't think i did pete did you notice that with your amazing full set you know, I totally should have because I've got it right next to a 48 back and right next to a, a regular Jedi figure. So, but now that you say that, I totally picture it in my head. Normally, he's yellow, right? Yes. Normally, it's the now behind the figure. It's the usual Chewbacca yellow. Yellow, but, but the nameplate's orange. The nameplate is orange, and I remember huh. being on Rebel Scum 11 years ago and pestering people and being like, "Why is this happening?" And and everyone was just like. Oh my God, who the hell cares? No one would say anything. And then I thought, well, maybe that's like, then later with the power of the force, they, they, they didn't change the color of the, of the nameplate. I don't think for any other figures, but for, mm. for power of the force, they changed it from yellow to orange for Chewbacca. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I don't know. I just want to find somebody who knows the answer. Why did they, why did they decide <laughs> Chewbacca was not yellow, my favorite color, but orange? Hmm. So uh, interesting. It doesn't sound like that is a good answer. question. So, so what would a what what does like a first twelve character go for on a uh, for a revenge card these days? Well, I mean, it's it's tough to say, Sky. I mean, you've got really cool figures like you know Han Solo, and then you got you know characters like Chewbacca right. on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> 
I always have to get that little jab in once every once of in a course. while on the podcast with you. Hey, it's um, all coolio, but... man. <laughs> <laughs> now I have this weird picture in my head of Coolio with, or Chewbacca with Coolio's dreads on his head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, um, so the original 12, there is a little bit of variance. So you go down the line to like a Jawa and a Star Destroyer Commander, and those are going to be probably the cheapest. You're going to be able to get into those for anywhere from four to 500 ungraded, graded, you know, at a couple hundred bucks, just like anything else. On the high end of the spectrum um, are Ben and Luke. Uh, Leia's up there pretty close too, and anytime you see them come around, you're talking, you know, the low $1,000 range from a grand to around $1,500. Um, however, I have seen Luke in the last couple of years go as high as um, $2,200, $2,300. Um, but honestly, from a value perspective, I just, I just don't see it. Um, everybody knows um, about the Vader factor. I mean, Vader is in a world of his own in terms of collectors. I mean, I've seen him go upwards of $4,000 in the last year, which is, it's just mind blowing to me because I'm lucky. I thought that I had spent quite a bit on my revenge run. I finished everything except grabbing a fat and a blank card, um, like probably five plus years ago. And I think I paid at most was my Vader fig, my Vader carded, uh, or not carded, my Vader proof. And I think that was four hundred bucks. Yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. when I was going through it. So well, f- five years ago was it was a good time to do it. Now it, I'm, it was. I'm curious, Pete. Um, this isn't a, a quiz, but I'm curious if you're in agreement. According to Kellerman, there's one figure that is the hardest to find. Not Fed, obviously that's the most expensive. But there's one figure. There's one that's the hardest. I wonder, do you think it's the same one? What do you think is the hardest one that, uh, to find? So I know which one you're talking about at the end of the day, um, and it definitely is difficult. You're talking about the Rebel Commander. Okay. Um, so, so many people have said that was the last one they found, hmm. and I have a couple of theories behind that. One, I do think it was shorter um, – I hate calling it production, but a shorter number of printings than some of the other cards because I know a couple sets out there that literally are missing that one, and that is it. Um specifically Sean when he bought his collection Sean Lemkul from Cincinnati he bought pretty much the whole set and I think it was either missing Walrus Man or Rebel Commander I can't even remember at this point but everybody seems to have a lot of difficulty with that personally I didn't I got him in the middle of the run Um, he definitely commands a premium especially because it's the freaking Rebel Commander I mean who's going (laughs) after him and you know (laughs) Well, tell that to you General Nadine, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, um, that's, that's a subject I'd like to talk about sometime, is figures that you didn't... Like the evolving uh, take on what's rare of a certain card back. Mm-hmm. Because when I purchased my 21-back uh, Jawa, Empire Strikes Back 21-back Jawa in 2007 or whatever, I didn't, I didn't even, like to me... The rare ones were Stormtrooper and R5-D4. And every, the rest of them were all easy to find and don't worry about it. And, you know, I still get – ever since I, I offered that for trade, you know, six months ago. Oh, I'm that's getting, right. I'm getting, you know, pretty consistent messages. I still just want to trade it um, because now I'm back to collecting them. So if I get rid of it, I really want something cool for it. 
but it's just funny how things pop up and and like like Pete was saying, if I tried to get that now, I'd have to spend a ton of money because people perceive of it as that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. but maybe that wasn't Absolutely. even his point, Steve. I don't know. Maybe did I just go <laughs> off off the rails? <laughs> no, I don't think completely off the rails. No. It was within within the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were in the same ballpark. It's just you were throwing a football and I was throwing a baseball. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I gotta stop bringing up baseball. This is a rough, rough week for me. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> now, I, as far um, as proofs go and revenge proofs, you want to talk about something I have never seen for sale. I have never seen a non-common revenge of the Jedi proof card for sale. Have you, Steve? Uh, not. I mean, like publicly for sale? No, I don't think so. I, I feel like it's the same, the same kind of group. Right, so there's so there's a very small number, I think they're mostly one of a kind, of 65 back proof cards that say Revenge of the Jedi on the front. Right, that's right, yeah. yeah. And Yeah, I think there's like 24 total or something like that that have been found, like 24 different characters, and they're all one of a kind. Yeah, oof. Um, yeah, according to, let's see, according, ooh boy, yeah, according to Kellerman, uh, let's see. It is not known why these 65 back cards exist since it was abandoned before then. 24 characters exist, and of these, only one copy exists for 16. Eight of mm. the characters have two, including Luke, Snaggletooth, not Luke, Snaggletooth, but Luke, comma, Snaggletooth, Luke Bespin, <laughs> Leia Bespin, Imperial Commander, AT-AT Driver, Rebel Commander, and Ugnaught. Wow, so there's only 32 total of those in existence. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. And and those are just yep. beautiful because that's the one thing, Pete, I have to say about the Revenge of the Jedi. I just don't like the Nyan Nub offer. I just think it messes it up. No. It does. It does. And I mean, especially like characters like Greedo, it's right in the middle of its face. Yeah. I mean, it it's it, it really does throw things off. Um and that's why I think that not so much why the 65 acts were so popular because it's obviously a rarity thing more than anything. Right. Um, but as I gravitated away from revenge and finishing that and starting to focus on regular Jedi proof cards, which are far more difficult to find, um, some of the toughest common proof cards, I'm doing air quotes on my side here, um, to find out there. It's, it's, it's crazy because they look so much better than the revenge ones of the same characters that I've got. So, um, I'm there with you, man. It's 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 sad that the most common proof out there has that big round blemish on every single one of them. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I guess we can't really complain. Oh. Yeah. But I'm actually now just. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually now but, looking at the at the Kellerman matrix and seeing. I've never actually even checked to see if the Chewbacca exists as a 65 back revenge proof card. No, it doesn't. Oh, thank God. <laughs> That's one of those ones. I'm just happy it doesn't exist because that means I don't have to pay the money to buy it. Oh, I wish I had it, though. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, Steve, uh, what's what's next? You're, you're driving the show. What are we doing next? Uh, well, so there was that – I'm sure a lot of people have seen this by now, but there's that really great Kenner Return of the Jedi sales promo video uh, that really just kind of – shows how much of a lucrative thing Return of the Jedi was, like, from the get-go, even more than, than the last two. Like, they really, like, went all out for for number three. Um, I don't know. You guys have seen this, right? 
Uh, yeah, I, I have seen it. It's three minutes and okay. four, and like it's almost four minutes long. It's long. It's long. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you wanted to put any of that in the in the show or not. But just some of the stuff that just like is just mind blowing. Seeing all of the millions of dollars that they're touting and, and advertising, um, and just how much of a like combined effort that it is. It's just nuts to me. Um. So you have like, you know, the, the $25 million in advanced theater bookings. That's like the first thing they rail off. And then they go into all the advertising um, contributors. So Kenner put up $12 million, which was matched by Lucasfilm. And then, then Parker Brothers had $7 million. And then the whole Coke and Burger King promotion was another $9 million. So you have $40 million in, in advertising money alone, which is just, it's crazy like to think about that. Back in 1983. Um, yeah, so, so what was this really for? So this was for Kenner advertising to toy com- toy stores that yeah. they should get as many Star Wars toys as they can. Basically, like, buy in on Return of the Jedi um, is the message. <laughs> yeah. And that you will, you will do well if you do. Um, but, yeah, it, it was just kind of neat to see it. You really see how much of like a it's like a synergy thing. You have like it's like a, it's cut like a trailer, but then you have all this stuff about toy advertising and and how big of a part the toys are going to play in everything. And and that did exist before, but I feel like like no other time. That's like where it really changed was with Return of the Jedi. Well, Steve, you know what I want to do? I'm going to put the whole thing hmm. in the show. All right, I'm going to put the, the three minutes and 50, uh, 49 seconds of audio. <laughs> if you don't want to hear it, you don't have to. I'm not going to narrate it. You just kind of have to imagine it. But it's actually kind of pleasant, I think, listening to old commercials and you hear the old voice and uh, just the image of uh, the, the real way they say it is the future is ours, yes. um, which is very different than Star Wars is forever. Um, <laughs> so so how, about we, uh, how about we just let – uh, let let the Kenner do the talking, and in the enhanced version and the uh, YouTube version, you can see little stills as it goes along. So it's basically like watching it, as though it were some kind of Chris Marker recreation. Nerd alert! What makes it particularly cool is that as the godlike voice is narrating, there'll be images that match what he says. So he says they'll be unchained, and you see a picture of Leia in chains. And uh, you'll even hear a Wilhelm scream at some point when they say that, you know, we're going to eat the competition, and you see someone being thrown into the Sarlacc pit. Uh, So I'll try to make sure that each of the pictures matches up. But this thing is going to get you so psyched to sell Return of the Jedi toys. It's like a like a coach in a halftime game getting you pumped up. I just want to sell Star Wars! Star Wars. More than a movie. A force. A screen explosion that catapulted us from our seats and sent us reeling into space. A single story that spawned a saga spanned a generation and shuttled Kenner's sails high into a galaxy far, far away. Then came the Empire Strikes Back. When the Star Wars saga and Kenner's sails continued, the Force grew. But the rebels fought against fate. Too late, Darth Vader's victory vanquished their hopes. Put Captain Solo in the cargo hold. Or so it seemed. At last, that battle's passed. The Alliance is back. 
bent on revenge in Return of the Jedi. A brand new movie. A brand new Kenner collection for 1983. Yes, the biggest blockbuster yet is out in May. And from the looks of it, our heroes aren't about to meet defeat. Kenner knows the Force is one that few can master. Like our rebel friends, we've watched our foes. Now, we're ready to unleash, unchain the power that is ours alone. We'll swallow the competition whole once our story is told. With over $25 million in advance bookings alone, the excitement's growing. Will Han remain solo when he rejoins the fray and keeps the Empire at bay? Who does Leia really love? I love you. I know. Is the notorious Darth Vader really the father of Luke Skywalker? We all want the answers, but while we wait and wonder, let's reveal what else is in store. Kenner's roaring to the fore, out to grab the market with a $12 million advertising blitz. Parker Brothers is adding $7 million more. With Lucasfilm's additional $12 million for the new movie and a $9 million Coke and Burger King promotion nationwide, you can count on over $40 million in all. The Force is with us! And that's a fact. Rentals of the new Star Wars movie cassette proved it. We'll capture, captivate millions more customers and fans with promotions planned for every season starting in the spring with a new free figure, Nine Numb. He's Lando's co-pilot, plus a sweepstakes. Kenner will make it the biggest in the history of the industry with a universe of television, print, and point-of-sale support, not to mention word of mouth. Millions upon millions of children will know about the sweepstakes and storm into stores to participate. What's more, all winners of this promotion will be invited with their families to the gala previews of Return of the Jedi. There'll be even more movie footage commercials on network TV in 1983, plus the Micro Collection, a unique new world for Star Wars collectors. It's a staggering sales story. Starring more products, more commercials, more support than anyone in any galaxy can remember. Which is the future, you see. Come what might, a stunning victory is in sight. Kenner and the Alliance is out to rout the enemy force. Our rebels won't tire till they see the last of the Empire. So be there, because the future is ours. <laughs> All right, so uh, that was the, the Kenner commercial, and uh, Steve, uh, Steve Coolio and I, we kind of worked on our... Um, worked on how we're going to go here and Pete's going to tell us some more about Return of the Jedi but I've been instructed to uh, interrupt him at times so uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to go from uh, Mr. Smooth Radio Voice to, uh, to me interrupting him a lot so um, as, as the great uh, Itchy the Mouse once said you look like you've got something to say do you? Yes, I certainly do. I have to go now. My planet needs me. Oh, my God. So, um, segueing back into our discussion on proofs, on the pre-production. Yes. Um, 
you know, just to kind of finish it off, I think the one other thing to talk about is the fact that in addition to these awesome proof cards that we saw that mean so much to the hobby and so much to the Focus Collector group, we also had a slew of box flats and large-scale proofs for the mint and seal box stuff, um, and a lot of stuff that never actually got released. So you have the AT-AT with the Revenge logo on it with the Hoth scene, which we never actually saw. You have the Falcon with the, Reven- or the Revenge logo on it and the Besman scene, which we never saw in production. Um, the Wampa never came out, but there's proofs of that. Um, so it's really cool because you get kind of another taste, just like with the R2 proof card and the template card or the blank card, again, whatever you want to call it, don't really care. Um, with those where you had kind of a feeling of something that never really came out in a production setting, you have the same types of things going on with the Revenge line for the Empire sealed box stuff or box stuff to the Jedi box stuff. And that's really cool for a lot of collectors. Um, you know, Gary James out there... Um, is a Wampa collector, and I think that he's got a run of, you know, three different Wampa boxes with three different Revenge logos on there, you know, as they were testing out the concepts. And there's, it's not like this stuff is limitless like the proof cards are, but there's definitely enough out there that if you want to get a large-scale proof sheet, um, you probably are going to want to place your bets somewhere in the Revenge line. And you'll probably get something that never actually even made it to shelf in terms of the concept that they were marking off. Now, that's awesome. I never even thought about the fact that they didn't make a Wampa for Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Right, right. And, and that actually, it's, this is probably, I don't know, because I've talked about it before, but at some point we also need to talk about Revenge of the Jedi items that did make it to the stores, but nobody knows what the hell's going on. Mm. Right, Steve? Am I wrong? PT, that's, do you that's, know about these that things? That sounds familiar. That was a whole, a whole, it was kind of like an urban legend thing, wasn't no, it? No, it's not an urban legend. I have one. Wait. Oh no no that's right you have the the vehicle uh, maintenance energizer vehicle maintenance energizer that that's right completely from a store and it's Revenge of the Jedi labeled only Revenge of the Jedi labeled and no one's ever been able to tell me what the deal is I I bought it from Todd Hudson uh, when I bought out his Chewbacca stuff he didn't even charge me a premium for it he just got so he just got it off of eBay and that person didn't charge a premium for it so there's no way that this could have been a scam because nobody was like, look at this. It's an actual store used revenge box. Right. So didn't have the, just the stigma. Trying to figure out when, how does that exist? How are there production items with revenge? Isn't there also like a, a X wing maybe out there? I don't know. Yep. Yeah. So what it comes back to and, and, this, everybody has to take it with a grain of salt. And before I forget, I actually have to go back and apologize to Jerry James, not Gary James. I always no. pronounce his name wrong because it starts with a G. No, um, he, he spells his name wrong. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it it's Coolio. And I'll see, yeah, and I'll see him next weekend at, uh, at at Cincinnati, and he'll hear this, and he'll give me some crap. So anyway. Oh, um, I'm not going to release this for like another month. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh, cool. I don't have to see him for another year, so we're good. We're good. Um, but I think it goes back to the same thing when you look at the 12-inch Empire Strikes Back line. And the, and the fact that there is, you know, right now on eBay, there's a Chewbacca in an Empire Strikes Back 12-inch box. There are Darth Vader's out there in 12-inch boxes. Honestly, you know, my gut is somebody took box flats and made them into production-like pieces. 
Um, there were definitely a lot of box flats that came out with the Revenge line. Um, X-Wing, Scout Walker, you know, all of the four main um, mini rigs. So the MCV-7, the MLC-3, Cap-3, or Cap three, and the other one I'm forgetting. There are a lot of box flats that are out there. I shouldn't say a lot, but there's probably, you know, high single digits that are in collections out there. So my guess is that it's very similar to what happened where people started to mock it up and just say, well, hey, here, this is kind of cool. This never actually was on shelf, and I've got, you know, um, a, a production piece that really shouldn't exist. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a lot less fun than my explanation, but that's okay. I think you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so why don't you go back telling us more about Jedi stuff, Pete? So, you know, with the Revenge Proofs, we move into the actual release. So um, I don't think a lot of people know kind of the progression of the Return of the Jedi line when it came to Mint on Card and then also the box vehicles. Obviously, a lot of cool new stuff that came out. We're going to kind of benchmark or, or table that for maybe another time or later in the discussion because... The coolest part for me with the Jedi line that came out was the transition cards of the 48 Seabacks. Um, and what was great about these is, you know, you had the first 48, back, 48 figures that were released, all represented on the line. And that's just a cool aspect of the Star Wars vintage line, is that it was a progressive line. It didn't stop, put its first 12 out, and then stop making the first 12 when it put the next nine out. Right. It kept making all of those characters through the line. And you that was... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and it's a money grab at the end of the day. Nobody's going to dispute that, but it's so cool that, you know, you can buy a Greedo or a, an original Han on a return card, um, which you couldn't do in a lot of different toy lines. Um, but the transition cards were just that. They were just meant as a short-term solution to put Return of the Jedi on figures out into stores. Um, it's the shortest run out of any of the series. Um, they were probably only on shelves for, you know, three, four months, if that. Um, and and that, they were just meant to lead up to the 65 backs. The best part of the 48 backs, though, is the bubbles. So this is when... Kenner was still using the same type of bubbles that you would find on the Empire cards. And once they hit the 65 backs, the material changed, and that's when you started to get the yellow bubble complex that plagued the line all the way through Power of the Force. Right. Um, so, whereas, like, you know, nine out of every ten Chief Chirpas are going to have a yellow bubble on a 65 back, um, you know, probably only one out of ten Han Solos are going to have a yellow bubble on a 48-back. So for those collectors who want to kind of stay away from that, it's kind of like a little bit of a safe haven where you don't have to give it the same type of attention that you do the 65 and forward um, type of card backs where you literally have to handle them with kid gloves all the time. Temperature, humidity, um, airflow, everything that kind of goes on to preserve those takes a lot of time and effort to kind of go through. So that's one of the cool points of the 48 backs that I really like. Um, and, I've got a set of them. I'm thinking, too, about the about the yellow because, the you know, it, it's okay. You said 48C. Of course, 48C is the printed offer on Empire, Pete. 48D is oh, what you're talking D. about. Yeah. I don't mess yeah, around sorry. with my 48Bs and Cs. Um, but, you know, you'll sometimes <laughs> see a 48B 
C and D, you'll sometimes see them with yellow bubbles, but I think that the, the plastic is still that better quality plastic, so it's a less annoying yellow. I, I don't know how to That's, say it, yeah. but like the bubble yeah. isn't as fragile. Yeah. It, like it may be yellow, but it's not – I don't know. It somehow doesn't bug you. It's weird, the psychology of, of yellow bubbles, how much it bothers us. But Yeah, yeah. It, it is weird. And I think that you're, you're spot on. It's a different type of plastic. So even though if it does yellow, it doesn't have that all-encompassing, it covers the whole card, it covers the stem of the bubble like the later ones did. Um, and, you know, that's just something that I think anybody that gets into Return of the Jedi line and starts to collect it has to kind of make that conscious effort out of the gate what they're going to want to do because if you're going to collect that line and you don't want to invest a lot into it, you're going to have to kind of deal with yellow bubble products and if you want to make the investment into it if you want to give that extra time because it is extremely difficult to put together a full run of clear bubble you know 65 or 77 max or 79 max kind of like a combination right. you've got to spend the time taking care of it going forward um, because those things will still turn if they are exposed to heat change and you know hot and cold temperatures even like a six to seven degree swing of between seasons can have a major impact on them hey um, hey, if you don't do you you have this information is that Mm -hmm. out there somewhere would you make us a video and put it on our our uh, our youtube page about like uh, preserving bubbles in the best way yeah, I can put my opinions out there. Um, definitely, I have no problem with that. There's a lot of different schools of thought out there is the first thing I have to say, though. It's it's kind of like, how did revenge cards come to be? How did the proof right. cards come to be? There's yeah. no exact science to this, but um, there's been some things that I've utilized over the years, some things I've learned from Jeff and some of the other collectors that are focused on that stuff that have really have helped me to kind of keep them. Because my first three years as a Jedi collector, um, I thought it was just about light. And it's so much more than the UV side of it. It's it's all the environmental factors around them. Right. So I, I'm just – I mean, I know that's a lot of work. But I know that a lot of our fans – like I think if we were to discuss it now, like how to go about it and how to set up the temperature stuff, that might not work. But I could see you like doing a little video and putting it up on the on the, the Kivecast video page. And I, I think that would be pretty awesome. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. So that's the, the 48 48- – D, which is the the debut, which is basically like the twenty one back. I always call it the twenty one back for Return of the Jedi figures, and I I've always thought yep. about putting together a run, but there's usually been a small premium on it because they're so rare. So you said those are only around for a couple months. How, what about sixty five backs? So sixty five backs are by far the most plentiful card back in the entire run. Um, I think they kind of, you know, when it comes to 65s and 77, they're kind of neck and neck in some ways. But when you look at the bulk of Return of the Jedi carded figures out there, I think that between those two segments, it's like 80 to 85% of what survived in Mint on Card Jedi is either 65 or 77. Mm-hmm. 65s straight out were the first um, card backs that ended up having the new characters on them. And there's a lot of variations, the A, B, C, and D type of situation with the backs on them. The most notable noticeable difference is because a lot of these came out right when the movie came out and they didn't want to promote the Ewoks at the time, um, you had the Ewoks on the back of the cards actually blacked out for the first few months that those were on the market um, with the A's, and I'm not sure if it, that that impacted the B backs as well. No, the, the, um, the B backs are not uh, are not sprayed out. Yeah, they're okay. they're on there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. 
that's kind of the cool aspect of it. Um, you know, you had your first Ewoks on there. You had Akbar on there. Um, you know, a lot of the key guys from Jabba's Dungeon were in there. So it was a great release overall. Um, really brought a lot of excitement to the community and brought a lot of excitement about the movie. Then you move into the 77s, and that's where they really started to round out some different things in the line. They started to stretch a little bit. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there were, I think, 31... Um, 32, yeah, 31 figures released in the total Jedi line. So they definitely tried to get as much runway out of that line as possible. Um, you know, six different Ewoks and, you know, a lot of background characters from Jabba's Palace. Um, ultimately, those different characters and those different groupings, you know, were cool in their own way. But when you come down to Jedi and what's rare and what's in demand and what's really not plentiful, it really only comes down to like seven or eight characters that are particularly sought after kind of an ongoing basis. Um, characters like Bosch, characters like the Emperor, the Emperor's Royal Guard, the Biker Scout. Um, you know, those were kind of the key ones because everybody else, it was either a variation of an existing character like Han Lei or Luke or, uh -huh. or Lando, um, but there weren't a lot of like, you know, 18 players that came out of that movie that were new characters that were kind of leading the forefront. Um, yeah. You know, probably the closest thing was Wicket, you know. Right. <laughs> Wait, you're saying there and aren't a so, lot of 18 players? No, but there's a, there's a big B team player, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. the B squad. <laughs> well, I was actually just trying to work in some Mr. T quotes. Have you ever been accused of doing something you didn't do? Well, it happened to me in Mexico City. And I got thrown in jail for it. But I, I like the way this went. Yes. Beads? Okay. <laughs> oh, good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, so, but so then, then circling back and... Yeah, what oh, was ahead. the deal with the 79? I'm annoyed at the 79 backs. We're talking about that for like another year or something, but I think those are stupid. <laughs> Might as well get get that frustration out nice <sighs> now, Sky, and we can return to it. Just two Ewoks? Okay, let's see if I know which ones they are. You guys ready? Okay, first of all, bet yeah. bet about whether or not I'll know the two Ewoks that were introduced to the seventy nine back. Okay. <laughs> Alright, I think I got them. You ready? Yeah. Lumat and Paplu. Yeah. Did I get them? Yeah. Got them. Very Whoa. nice. Yes. Nicely nice. done. Sweet. <laughs> now which one is gray and which one's brown? <laughs> Ooh. Lumat's got the purple background. Yeah. That's all yeah. I know. I couldn't tell you. Okay. They could both be gray, and I wouldn't know. Do, do we know uh, why they decided to do a line just with those two Ewoks? Um, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, thoughts around that. I just think that at the end of the day, they had some extra molds. They were far along in the production. They couldn't get them out for um, the 77 back, and they wanted to bring some more excitement out there. You know, what's funny is that they were all released um, with the offer in the bottom right corner. So that's kind of, you know, a unique signature of them. And you can't find a Lumat or a Poplu without that on there. Um, so I think that they were trying to kind of push that last promotion through as well. But, you know, you're right on kind of talking about 79s and how annoying they are in the aspect of, it always seems that the matrix of what exists changes with them. I mean, like every other year, it's like, no, I found this figure on a 79 back and, and you know, everybody's like, oh, is that legitimate or not? Um, because if you look at the Kellerman matrix, there weren't that many that were actually put out there. And, and it's very difficult to find 
the vast majority of figures on a 79 back. Right, so 79 yeah. back has the printed Anakin Skywalker offer. In the in the lower right, mm-hmm. yeah. In the lower right. And so I've never tried to look for one. Steve, is there one for a B-Wing pilot? I mean, not that you would buy production because you're such a snob. <laughs> but does one exist for the B-Wing pilot? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure there is one. Um... You don't have it? <laughs> no. Have you ever tried to get it? I feel like I, I have at one point, Yes. <laughs> You're such a snob. You're the worst. I am. A, I'm a huge. I am the worst. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, poor uh, Steven only has like seven card backs. You can actually find in production for that guy. Yeah, he doesn't even look for him. All right, awesome. So I'm, I'm doing my best of uh, interrupting you pretty repeatedly. Most of it's for stupid reasons. So go, go on, Pete. Um, so not much more to the mint on card line. I mean, from there, we obviously know what happened with power of the force and everything like that. Um, what's great about Jedi is that it did carry forward a lot of the star Wars and empire strikes back vehicles and box items. So, um, the original, uh, mini rigs that were released were all, um, re-releases of items that were from empire. You had the Adat, you had the Falcon, both of which had new artwork and you know, and this isn't just because I'm a Jedi collector, but they're my two favorite pieces of artwork for either of those vehicles. I really love the indoor scene with um, the Adat, and I really love the uh, desert scene with the Falcon. Even though yeah. that really doesn't exist anywhere in the movie, it, it's abstract, it's different, it's unique, and they kept pace with a lot of that stuff. Um, you also had some of the Empire vehicles in the form of the Battle Damaged X-Wing, the Battle Damaged TIE Fighter. No new updated artwork for them, really, just slapping a, a Jedi logo. And um, kind of along the lines of the ad as well, you had the Scout Walker that came out with the Endor scene, which is very cool, very different from the Empire scene. Um, a couple of the Empire Hoth scenes um, with the Scout Walker were released. It's probably one of the, if not the most difficult um, sealed box items to find from that line or just box mm-hmm. items to find from that line. Um, they're out there, but they're rarely in good shape and um, just very difficult to find given the quantities of everything else that was produced. So it, it carried forward a lot of great themes from the other movies, which is awesome. But then it brought out some really cool concepts unto itself. Um, you know, you talk about some of the small mini rigs. I think that the Jedi mini rigs of all the sets that were ever released are by far the fan favorites. Um, from the one man skill skiff, the Endor Ranger, um, concepts that really didn't make a lot of sense, but just looked really cool and were different and unique and kind of brought forward and progressed the line a little bit. And then you obviously had um, the big vehicles from the movie that came out. So the TIE Interceptor, which was a huge um, chunk of plastic unto itself, the B-Wing, the Y-Wing. And then my personal favorite, and I know it doesn't get a lot of love, um, but the Imperial Shuttle I thought was just so masterfully done for a 1983 gigantic vehicle like that to come out. Because it was so lifelike, it was so detailed, and it was so accurate to what you saw in the movie. Um, yeah. Do you guys, do any of you know what the retail price on the Imperial Shuttle was? It just, it's a question that just popped in my head. Like, I wonder what that originally was supposed to sell for. I'm uh, guessing 30 bucks, 40 I mean, bucks. Maybe. I, I can tell you because there's actually, um, I don't know if you guys ever know, there's this, um, it's a website called the Star Wars Collector's Archive. And uh, they <laughs> oh, actually right. include oh, catalogs the prices. Yeah. such as the Sears Wish Book, 1984, $37.99. Oh, 
$37.99? Yes. Hey, you're, you're pretty close, Pete. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and according to Ron Salvatore, one of the largest and most expensive Kenner Star Wars toys is also the best designed. Hey. So, yeah, I, hey. I, I've you know never really never really played with uh, with one of those, so I don't know much about it. Steve, I think we should do one of our our, our features here. But can we get sure. back to Akbar? Uh, I want to hit because you you did all you these nuggets and stuff, okay. but I want to get back to Akbar, yeah. Steve. So go, go unloved. Yeah, let's go unloved. <laughs> You don't hate, only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. The unloved and the unnatural. All right, Steve, I actually forgot what you're talking about. Is there something? Oh, I remember. This isn't even in the outline, but, um, so, sorry, Pete, but uh, no. what I had in mind, it's something that you and I actually saw at uh, Meltdown Comics when you were out here, Sky, and I, I didn't buy it at the time because it was comic book prices probably but uh it's the um figural akbar eraser which <laughs> the packaging <laughs> is is amazing um and the thing itself is is amazing in my mind it's something i still want to pick up at some point but you don't have it um i don't have it yet no um so it's it was put out by butterfly originals <laughs> um and, <laughs> and it's got this really really blue colorful packaging with the red star wars logo um and akbar and his kind of i don't know what you want to call that pose um uh, hands on his commander head. pose macarthur yeah. pose really yeah there you go yeah um Ge but, general yeah. macarthur would be very proud of this pose <laughs> yeah i think he would <laughs> um but it's, it's just funny because in the in the archive entry <laughs> i think this is duncan writing this he says these erasers were just too cool for school from my perspective, and lent themselves better to collecting and display than erasing yucky pencil, which yeah, I'd agree with. When we say fig, you know, figural, it's it just, is a, just like a figure. Yeah, you, there's no place to stick it on a pencil without making it very uncomfortable. That's uh, true. My rectum can't stand <laughs> pencils of that magnitude. Um, but uh, yeah, and another thing about these butterfly originals, maybe we can get uh, Duncan on here sometime. All yeah. the artwork. Is individual, so yeah, there's that's the, right. the Emperor's Royal Guard collectible eraser, and for that one, he's in front of uh, like he's on the on the bridge in the Death Star. The Wicket figural eraser, uh, he's like on a little hut. But the Akbar one's weird because it says Star Wars, and the rest of them say yeah. Return of the Jedi. It is really strange, mm. um, but yeah, I just thought that. Uh... We haven't gone the, the office supply route for, for a little while. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, and it's, to be honest, the guys out in England do a great job with office yeah, and stationery. Yeah, they so, do. They um, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that is true. I, I, that's strange that it has that Star Wars logo. Um, I, I think yeah, that I weird. Think in our near future, we need to spend a lot of time on Butterfly Originals. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's true. Because there's all this <laughs> stuff in here that Duncan has mentions but doesn't have pictures of like mm -hmm. speeder bikes yeah. job of the hut laminated book covers like really yeah. <laughs> that that is ex that existed um so awesome and now what i like to do for a nugget steve well first i better put mm -hmm. in the drop it is a nugget from the archive it is a nugget oh my god 
they're gorgeous. From the archive. So Steve, do you want to talk Nugget, or do you do you want to talk Akbar or Revenge? You, uh, you sent out a I mean, couple it, interesting it, Revenge ones. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I thought that the the Shelf Talker one was particularly it, on the surface. It may not be all that interesting, but to me, I find the details about it really interesting. Okay, so so, so tell us, about Steve, that? all about the Shelf Talker. All right, so. Uh, Back in the stores, they would have you know a, a sign on shelves that are commonly referred to as shelf talkers. But the item we have here is the nugget is some early uh, designs and, and printings of what would have been uh, a Revenge of the Jedi shelf talker and then a Return of the Jedi counterpart. And this is actually I think I think it's from Ron's collection. I'm pretty sure it is. It is. I don't know why I haven't seen them. I go to his house enough. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's what's cool about this is the the dates on them. So. The Revenge one uh, has a date of November 11th, 1982. And then The Return is only six days later, November 18th. So, you know, it's Ron, you know, reasonably surmises that sometime during that week, Kenner was finally <laughs> given the clue that that wasn't going to be the title of the movie anymore. And so they had to change their design, you know, accordingly. But I, I don't know, I just like to see that, that change with a date on it. Um, wow. It's, that, that's what's most interesting about it to me. Because mm-hmm. if that's a real date, I mean, he said that it came from a contractor who did a lot of their store signage. Yeah. So that's it. That, I mean, that must but be What's weird, though, is like, the, yeah, like that, 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 that pretty much nails the date in terms of when, when Kenner was informed. But the script, according to what I could find, changed names like a whole year before that it was november 1981 so what was going on there yeah it's just funny to see that kind of year gap in terms of the script and then this kenner change all right wow that's awesome steve well thank you that that was a good nugget good Uh, yeah that's very cool the other nuggets i was going to think of doing was just talking about steve's collection but I'm, i'm actually starting to think (laughs) that maybe what we should do is save that for sort of the end, so that so that uh, okay, uh, so that Pete doesn't have to listen to us just uh, talking about your collection. Because I still I still feel like we have a lot more Coolio to get through. Um, we do. Coolio is yeah. here. Yes, Coolio is, <laughs> is here, and in my so, house. So first of all, that's cool that you're going to Cincinnati. I, Steve and I have talked about it. We do not know the Lem Cools at all, and when I say don't know, I mean like I've never spoken to them. I don't. I sort of understand who they are, but if they're friends of yours, like I think we should get them on the show sometime. So make sure to mention that to them because I'd love to have them on and talk about the stuff that they do. Because everyone I know who knows them is like, you should have them on. I'm like, I should, but I don't know who they are. <laughs> um, and I could, I could be randomly yeah. shy. So you could even record some audio if you want. Um, that 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 could be cool on your iPhone. But of yeah, course, absolutely. I was gonna. Yeah, I was going to try and pull something together because it's funny. Cincinnati, outside of Celebration, is probably the biggest gathering of vintage collectors in the country. Right, yeah. And it's not, it's not that it's a huge show, but Ron will be there, Chris will be there, Brock will be there. And I'm just going off of who was there last year, but guys like Tim Eccles will come up from Arizona. Um, and I'm just lucky because I'm in Michigan 
right now and was last year, and I've gotten to go to this a couple of years in a row, but it's a very cool show. And the Lemcools, if you ever want some background on them, they were one of the subjects for the Limelight focus that I've done on the blog before. Right. Um, really cool concept. Almost everything that they have, because they're based in Cincinnati, they found in the wild. It's not like they're buying their collection on eBay. It's not like they're going um, even to a ton of shows to buy stuff. They literally scoured garages across the entire city to find their collection. Sean and Ryan, real good guys. So, yeah, I would recommend sometimes trying to get them on the phone. Um, but, uh, yeah, just kind of a unique story around them and how they got their collection going. Yeah, well, cool. We're, we're going to – because, you know, Steve and I were sometimes accused of being like – you know, only attached to the archive and really inner circle But it's more like, uh, we just sort of know who we know. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Um, hey, you want to be on the show? Uh, the other day, someone was on the. Tony D'Amato was on the on the uh, Vintage Rebellion. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's and right. And he said that it was his first podcast appearance. And I was like, wait, what? I know we interviewed him. But then I remembered we interviewed him for the secret project that we can never talk about. So that's right. <laughs> okay. So I felt bad. I'm like, okay, so you know, because that's someone that we know. But of course, if if we have Pete on here, Steve, the most important thing we could possibly do is what? It's got to be the market watch, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> One dollar flicks. Market watch. So here's the deal. I have not looked down to see what the things, what the prices are. Steve, I imagine that you have. So we could just I do have. A, we could do a one-on-one. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is the deal. Steve, you well, have to guess if I'm going to guess within $300. Okay, cuz yeah, these, <laughs> these are all yeah, all Pete's auctions, so he's probably vaguely familiar. <laughs> okay. So so what what are the yeah. what are the first one uh, that we're going to be talking about? All right, about? let me let me get this queued up here. So, first so one, is, is there a theme just, this month? Yeah, Pete, why don't you, yeah. you, you, wrote, you wrote this thing, so you take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've started with the general side of the watch to kind of go towards a little bit more of a theme, um, you know, kind of going after a specific grouping of items, a specific focus. Not a lot of rhyme or reason to the time of year we'll go after it or anything like that. But, um, you know, in this specific one, we're actually covering off store displays um, and the months of July and June and early August were really, really heavy in the market with a lot of transactions taking place. And displays is just kind of a segment that's really taken off over the last couple of years. I mean, I remember three, four years ago seeing like a 21 back bell display, which is one of the more common pieces out there, go for anywhere from like six to maybe a thousand bucks. And now they're selling for two to three consistently, depending on condition. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of variation, and I think that it's kind of along that same progression with um, that we've seen over the last six, seven years of pre-production. People get their full run of production, and they go into pre-production, or they decide to go into mailers, or catalog mailers, or baggies. And I think this is just another one of those segments that it's really attractive to collectors. It hasn't always been top of mind for people, but there's a lot out there to collect, and. Um, if you're a focus collector or have a favorite movie in the series, there's a lot of different options out there from each release that people can gravitate towards. So and, that's and the theme. I, I actually have a theory yep. about this. Mm-hmm. Did you want to hear my theory about why uh, displays are going up? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, it's kind of a complicated theory. 
but okay. <laughs> right now, when Pete says that a couple years ago they were low, they were dead. I mean, I remember yeah. talking specifically to Ron Salvatore, and he was telling me displays are dead. And he's one of the great display collectors in the world, and he was just saying, you know, it's amazing what you could get and how cheap it was. And how when he started, those were the hottest things. I think part of it is that there's actually a completely new wave of collectors. Like the like back in the late 90s, there was a new wave and a certain amount of people, when they start collecting, that's some of the, the rare stuff that they go to and that creates this kind of desire. So I think that's one factor. I think another factor is that Facebook is so driven by pictures that before mm. you had to basically put things up on your wall and you couldn't show things off that much. And if you did, it took a lot of effort. And displays are yeah. big and you can't really display them, ironically, <laughs> because they're so big. <laughs> but with showing off pictures, much like a proof card or something, you're instantly showing that you have something that's of value and you're trying to get that going. And then my last theory, which is one of my big, my big favorite things to talk about, is the concept of tastemakers, right? So there's the whole my whole theory about the fact that everyone preferred 3D pre-production versus 2D pre-production was because yeah. guys like Gus, Ron, and Chris were the tastemakers and people followed them. And then people like Matthias showed up and he was a tastemaker for 2D stuff and they kind of followed him. I think that with Facebook, with uh, I really think it's because Ross Barr has been so effective at being the sort of center as to where people come into the hobby. Like they sort of it used to be you had to go through somewhere else, but now you basically have to go through one of the sites that he manages, not exclusively, but at least for a couple of years there, it seemed that way. And I think because he collects uh, displays and shows them off so prominently, I actually think a lot of people are following his taste. That's provocative. What do you think, Pete? Do you think there's a chance that's right? I think that two-thirds of your theory is absolutely spot on. I think that the visual <laughs> aspect definitely helps. Okay. Um, so so you, you, you definitely have something going there for you. Um, it's funny because you're, you're spot on. Ross is a display collector. He had one of the big display finds a few years ago, and I think that that kind of sparked a lot of um, – discussion as to, you know, are these more available than maybe some people thought? But going yeah. back to your original hypothesis, visual is everything online today. And and these dis these displays, especially some of the ones we'll look at here, there's so much going on in them. And they were so well done, especially given the time, um, given the era and everything else. They really were world-class pieces of artwork in terms of they were throwaway pieces of artwork at the end of the day, too. So for, for advertising, um, I mean, it's yeah, it's just it's great. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, no, I'm digging it. I'm 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 buying that. Okay. Steve? Nice. All right. So <laughs> should we should we get into the auctions here? Yes, but, um, but but I do believe that I think that the display market will tank again within the next five years, and when it does, I think you should buy buy displays because it seems to be one of the <laughs> most cyclical things. Like if that happened yeah. once it's pretty safe to presume that it'll happen again. Whereas I don't think you can predict that carded figures are going to tank or proof cards or hard copies. Like, I don't think that's, there's no predictability, but the fact that, that, that displays completely tanked. And yeah. anyway, mm -hmm. so, all right, let's get, let's get to the market watch here. 
right. So, um, so up first, uh, I don't know. I guess Pete, you know these. I don't know if you want to introduce them. Do you want me to or? Um, yeah. Sky, you're going to do your, your guess. Yeah, I, gonna I, see, I'm going to guess, Steve. Within... You start, and then I'll ask Pete for questions, and that'll help me figure okay. out the price. All right, got it. Okay, so the first one I have is uh, the Return of the Jedi Collect All 79. So it's got the Emperor front and center on one side, and it has the uh, the Collect All 65 art on the back. So you have the Emperor's Royal Guard on the flip side. This thing is just awesome. Um, you know which one I'm talking about, Sky? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I don't. It's got so... the. It's like a square shape. It's got the blue background because you know, the, obviously, the shapes of the different characters wouldn't match up. So they made this kind of nice uh, box for them to live in. Oh, cool! Um, so yeah, on, just... on one side, it shows the the paintings that they did of, of yeah. a couple of what characters. So one side is like the seventy nine back characters. So you have the Emperor. Uh, you have Han Trench, Wicket, Pruneface, and then you have uh, Klaatu. And on the other side, it was for the 65 backs. You have the Emperor's Royal Guards in the middle. Then you have Chewie, Bib Fortuna, Chirpa, and the Gamorrean Guard. And then they have a box for all the figures underneath? N- no, no. So the box is just like the, the background that the characters are displayed in. Like just so they you couldn't actually die cut it to match since they're different characters. If oh, that makes okay. sense. All right. That's yeah, a square piece. Okay. All right. Good. Gotcha. All right, now, now I understand it. Because I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen what you're talking about. Now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to guess. Now, is this... You want a little help? Yes, give me a hint. Let me give you a little help. So, first off, the 79-figure header display is one of the best displays ever made. It goes for huge dollars compared to um, a lot of the other pieces that are out there, even more so than a lot of the Star Wars pieces. Same thing actually happens with the 65 back however when you think of displays you want some you're buying something for the visual effect of it more than anything else and the condition on this thing is abysmal um it's all there but it has water damage on both sides it has major um stressing along the edges um you know what we would kind of call edge wear on a carded figure is prominent all over the place it also has on the tab, um, because how these were set up, they'd have a big cardboard tab at the bottom of them that would go into like a, a dump bin for figures, like on the backside of, of a dump bin for figures. It has glue on it that was used to adhere it initially. So there's a lot of things going on that aren't in its favor. So you have to take all that into effect when you're thinking price on okay. this one. I am going to guess. I actually opened up Kellerman. I'm now looking at it here. It's a very nice display. Ah. There you go. He says it's anywhere from seven hundred to a thousand dollars, and this was back when they were more valuable. But I'm going to guess nine hundred dollars. Pretty close. Seven ten. Seven ten. Wow. All right, on the lower end of Kellerman. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if if that were in better condition, that would go for a lot more. Okay. What's the next one? Yeah. Okay. So up next, I've got. Okay. It's a. 1979 Star Wars uh, Boba Fett store display header. So it's the rectangular shaped header with the free Boba Fett action figure um, splash in the middle. And then you have the square pictures of the uh, other 20 characters on either side. So it's not the figures, but just the the actual photographs of the characters. Of the characters, right. Not the figures, but the characters. Uh, So this was for actual a header in a, I mean, a, it was a part of a box, right? Right. Okay. 
I'm going to guess 500. Ooh. 15.95. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Yep. But it doesn't even come with a tray? No, no. And a lot of them don't. Um, this unto itself is a cool piece just because it is one of the first advertising pieces for FET. Um, but of all the FET advertisements, it's the most common and it is the cheapest. Typically, though, in really good condition, you're going to see this piece go from anywhere from 2500 to 4000 in today's market. This was Ooh. pretty this was pretty beat up at 1600. Well, I just think it's ugly because they have the pictures instead of the pictures of the toys. Okay, right. all right, I'm I'm off. All right, what's up next, Steve? <laughs> okay, uh, up next we have a Star Wars Toy Center shelf talker. So it's an unused shelf talker, so it's not folded; it's flat, um, and it's just the the plain Star Wars logo with the Luke and Leia art, and then the Toy Center logo to the right of that. It says Toy Center, not Toy Galaxy. Toy Center, right? Okay, it's a it's a shelf talker. Those are really small and dinky and stupid. But then people like hey, to hey. what? And people like to buy them because they like to put them up with their figures for people who collect more than one character, which is also stupid. Um, but you can't actually put this one up because it's flat still, so oh, it's, like, it's right. an unused one. Oh, that makes it nicer. I'm going to guess yeah, one thousand two hundred and twenty-two dollars. Yeah, not too far off. This one went for nine ninety nine, which it it it's crazy to me because I actually I bought one of these just like this probably at least ten years ago, and I think I paid like I feel like it was less than a hundred dollars for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, and I love it because I have it framed and I have it hanging above my loose figure set. But so to see one of these sell for a thousand dollars now just like blows my mind. Yeah, well, okay, so that's the shelf talker. All right, what's next, Steve? That's the shelf talker. Um, so up next, we've got... I'm a shelf talker. I'm a shelf talker. Oh, watch them go by. Okay. I don't, I don't let you have that for a second. Um, so we have an Empire Strikes Back uh, Collect All 41 display. So this actually has uh, the, the pictures of all the figures on there with the 10 new figures kind of front and center. Um, with all the previous figures surrounding it. It's got that red background and the Empire logo on top with Collect All 41 as the as the selling point here. Hey, do you know what I just realized? What's that? It looks like a Darth Vader case. Ooh. I, I can Ooh. see that. You ever notice that? How the Collect All 41 no. looks like the Vader helmet and then the... the okay. Um, <laughs> totally. I'm looking at it in the Kellerman. Kellerman says fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred. I think I might actually go higher than that and say three grand. Four thousand six hundred and five with twenty two bids. Wow. And looks like this one is that can you tell what's going on with the condition on this one, Pete? Yeah, so this one is a little bit beat up. Um and um, basically what you're seeing on it is, I'm, I'm enlarging it right now, but I know that there was definitely some damage. It looks like water damage on yeah. the bottom quarter of it. Yeah. Because um, it's pretty consistent across the whole thing. 
Um, but I mean, it's something that's definitely visible. I mean, if this thing was pristine, I, I don't even know how high it would have gone then because that scares me. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. But it's a cool, it's a cool layout, you know, having all the figures on there like that and then having them in semi the correct groups with each other is, is kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. oh, beautiful. Um, you ready to move on? Of course. Okay. Up next, we've got the Empire Strikes Back Hoth scene uh, display. So it's got the the diorama with the the walkers and the troop transport and the snow speeders and X wings all all going crazy. Uh, it's that it's pretty huge. Uh, I'm sure you you know which one I'm talking about, but it's an uh, awesome one. Well, I'm looking at it, so that's how I know. Oh, you got them all. You got them all right there. Yes. Okay. As uh, Kellerman right. calls it, the gondola header. Yes. Okay. <sighs> this one's lame. Stupid colors, and it's got the Rebel transport, which is a bad toy. Um, <laughs> this is a disaster. It's a very bad display. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to say 1,500. <sighs> just, just south of five grand. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Even though I thought I said it was stupid. Okay. You, you were just trying to. I was trying to get the price down. That's all I was trying to do. I know, I know. I, it's, you know, that's fair. Um, but yeah, no. 5000 Um Jeez. Man. Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, uh, Kellerman said that was 500 to 800 So that's Whoa. been, that's been the biggest, uh, that's been the biggest shift from Kellerman to now. So, so far. Okay. This is fun. Um, yeah, all right. I just love looking at these things. All right, we have two more. Um, okay, up next we have a Empire Strikes Back. Uh, collect them all. It's just it's very kind of basic looking display. It's black uh, background with just red lettering that says action figures. Collect them all. Um, and I obviously, I honestly, I don't know if I remember seeing this one before. Um, I don't know, Pete. Do you know much about this in terms of in, some background for Sky? Yeah, so this is, um, it's funny because when you say you haven't seen it before, I honestly had never seen one in an auction until this one came up. Mm. And um, it is definitely plain Jane. There's actually a Jedi one that's very similar. Um, From what I remember in my research, this was basically used on um, cardboard dump-ins again. So basically like stand-ups. It wouldn't be used on like an end cap in the store or in line. And not like a box. Okay. Yeah, it actually, yeah, it's like, according to Kellerman, it's uh, it's like uh, there's three trays that held carded action figures. And there's yeah. like a 10-inch high base with a, the logo on it. And then at the top is this kind of bin header. So that's okay. how it would have how it would have actually looked. I'm looking at it here, and there's a Return of the Jedi one and then an Empire Strikes Back one. Yeah. Now this, yeah. ironically, is not lame. I look at this and I think this looks cool. I like the design of it. I like how I haven't really seen it a ton of times, and so I get the sense yeah. that it's probably a lot more rare. This to me seems like the pick of the litter. This seems like the the best one that 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 we've seen here today. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I feel like I haven't seen it, and just seeing it next to the Return of the Jedi makes me think that there can't be many of these out there. So I'm going to guess that somebody went crazy. Pete, did you win it? No, no, this isn't my, my cup of tea, man. It says Empire on it, not Jedi. Right, of course. We've only said that five times this episode. 
<laughs> I'm going to say 6,000. 7,754. No, I went high. You went, you went, oh man, and it still wasn't enough. <laughs> well, you know, I actually like that. Whoever got that, I think you did, you, you did a good job. Everyone else is paying too much, but this thing, if anything is worth six grand, this thing's worth six grand because this thing is awesome. <laughs> okay, and the last one I have is a Empire Strikes Back Collect All 32. So uh, it's got the Empire logo on top. I'm sure you'll, you'll see it in the book, but yeah. it's got the Empire logo on top. Collect all 32 action figures. It's got the uh, the new first wave of Empire figures in a little blue kind of highlight box, and then the Star Wars figures below. And just out of curiosity, they never made a 31 display, right? Uh, that's a good sure. question. I don't, I don't know. I don't think they ever did because it wouldn't have made sense for them to have – uh, to have spent that much time and energy to hide, to hide Yoda when they knew that they were going to put out Yoda. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Um, so oh, you know what? One, you know what? I'm... There is one, but it's the prototype. Okay. Ah, so, so here's a little secret. If you're lucky enough to have the Kellerman book, which, by the way, if you're spending six grand on a, on a store display, you should spend a 200 bucks to get the Kellerman. Page 230 of the Kellerman book is one of my favorite pages of all time because – it has the the twenty one back Empire Strikes Back uh, display prototype. Uh, so the only thing that's known of it is a chromalin. And I remember, I think Will Grief brought it to Celebration Four, maybe. And it's just awesome because it says "free secret action figure," and it has uh, with the purchase of any four Star Wars action figures, and it has all the all of the characters in that, in like a little circle. And also on that same page is Empire Strikes Back, Collect All 31, Mobile Hang. Two versions okay. of this prototype exist. Version 1 is a photo image of a paste-up and is mounted on poster board. Ah. Uh, version 2 is a photo image of version 1 <laughs> and is mounted on foam board. The Collect All 31 huh. appears in the 1980 Toy Fair catalog. It is believed that this display never went into production. Yoda, the 32nd action figure, was released prior to producing the Collect All 31 display. So... Only one copy of each version is known to exist. There you have it. Look yeah, at this spread of knowledge in the market watch. Yeah. Thank you, John. That's the Kelly. way to do it. <laughs> so this 32 uh, one, I can tell this is hot. This is uh, this is hotter than Miami uh, in July. $150. No. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Kellerman says it's worth 3000 so just going by simple math, a, it'll go thirty. An indicator. It'll go thirty thousand. Um, <laughs> Nine thousand. That's pretty close. Eight thousand yeah. four hundred and fifty. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this is just so cool. I mean, it's such a great display, and it has my favorite long-term screw-up on here. Look at Boba Fett in the picture. Okay. So this is a 32 back action figure display, oh, and it yeah. has it has kit bashed Boba Fett in there. That, that is, is so awesome. funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just showed up out of nowhere. Wow! Awesome market watch. Yeah, this is yeah, uh, thanks, this man. is great. <laughs> yeah, and so anybody looking to find out more, um, obviously the Kellerman book, but there actually is a Facebook group um, led by Will Grief. Um, yep. To be to be exact, 
and they uh, focus all in on the uh, display side, and there's a ton of information out there and a lot of cool pieces that come up on that site. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, do, do we have anything from uh, Brisbane this month? Uh, not this month, no. I think we were we were a little too quick to the draw for for Mike yeah. um, on Akbar, but um, I'm sure he'll he'll put something together for for the blog. Um, yes. You know, yeah. we'll just we'll just do a double Brisbane next time with uh, yeah, with Akbar and whatever the next figure is after Akbar. Uh, Leia, Leia, Leia Bausch. Leia Bouch. Nice. Bouch. Bausch. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, well, that'd be really cool because maybe I can take a month off and actually get a limelight out again. I haven't done one in like six months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that. <laughs> it, yeah. It's funny. Um, I had the interviews done with both Tim Eccles and Bill McBride almost six months ago, and it's just been so crazy in life that we haven't been able to finish them off. But the funny thing is with both of them, when they come out, they will be the first two-parters. Because there was just way too much to cover in one post. It just went on and on and on. So those will hopefully be out before holidays come up here. Great. Sounds good. Sounds great. Well, awesome, Pete. Well, thank you for your continued work uh, on the archive and the podcast. And uh, have a good time in Cincinnati. And we might have to put up a poll. What's a better nickname? Fantastic Pete or Coolio Pete? Uh-oh. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, talk yeah, to you. Have a good night, Pete. See ya. All right, Sky here again. It's actually about 24 hours from the last time I recorded anything. It's Wednesday. I'm getting ready to take the kids down to Little Compton. Um, and I'm hopefully going to get this out. But I wanted to say that the origin of the Coolio joke, I forgot to put in earlier. So here's the little brief piece of audio that Steve and I recorded while waiting for Pete to get on the, on the line. So you've probably been wondering, what's going on with the Coolio joke? Well, here is the mildly satisfying payoff to that. Well, Steve, we're actually uh, waiting for, for Pete to arrive. Oh. He, uh, Steve just texted him, and what did he respond? Uh, Coolio. <laughs> yes. I, I, we don't know what that means. You don't know if that means he's going to be coming on soon or not. So I thought it would actually be fun if we had a, a little section here of Sky Reads Mailer. So I, I was saying how I don't really care about the mailer, but I'm sitting here waiting for Coolio to show up. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm reading the archive thing about the Admiral Akbar offer. Yeah. And uh, so this is what it said when you got Admiral Akbar. There's some interesting things in here. Admiral Akbar from Star Wars, Revenge of the Jedi. This is the leaflet you would get with the figure, presumably right. sometime after January 31st, 1983. The Star Wars saga continues with the next chapter, Revenge of the Jedi, to be released on May 27th, 1983. The conflict between good and evil culminates as the Rebel Alliance, led by Luke Skywalker, confronts the dark side of the Force in a way never before presented on a movie screen. Which, first of all, is like, well, the dark side of the Force has never been confronted on a movie screen. But here's <laughs> the part that I like. Admiral Akbar is the commander of the Mon Calamari, an ally of the Rebel Alliance, Admiral Akbar plays a major role in fierce space battles against the forces of Darth Vader. So yeah, that's that's a that's some pretty high sell, selling points, right? Well, first of all, I didn't realize that they called him Mon Calamari that early. Yeah, yeah, that that, that was public. something that that surprised me too. <laughs> and uh, he's not a commander of the Mon Calamari, is he? I couldn't figure. 
So he's a commander just of them? I thought he was the admiral of the entire rebel fleet. That's, that was kind of the impression I got, too. But um, I don't know. So I, I think know. this seems like earlier on, maybe, they thought he was just going to be leading that little crew. Yeah, they might kind of like a... You know, that's true. I, I think one Sarazans. aspect is like a, it's like a coalition, like a NATO kind of thing, almost, where you have different factions. Wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. You said NATO. I just had to. Right, you just had to immediately respond with it. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that 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 could have been that it was just like a certain group. Yeah, um, yeah. That that would be my guess. But it's funny and, that uh, you were just wondering about the whole like how early the calamari thing came in. I don't. I don't know if you saw any of those uh, deleted scenes from Return of the Jedi where there there was a Mon Calamari. I think. A wing pilot or something, and they're going through reading the lines, and, and then one of the lines is just like, and he asks him like, "What's for dinner?" He's like, "Mon calamari for dinner." <laughs> it's like that's where the first instance. I'm like, "Oh, so this was in their minds early for sure." That's funny. Hey, I see the Coolio is <laughs> online. Should be. Uh, yes, I, I think I think we're ready. Okay, we're back in the present time. Uh, that was the history of Coolio and the Akbar Mailer. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I'm going to my mom's funeral day after tomorrow, and I did want to talk about the fact that she is sort of responsible for why I'm here. Uh, that is to say why I'm doing a podcast. Because my, my fandom, like the, my sort of extreme fandom didn't really start as a kid. I mean, I liked the movies, I loved the movies, but it wasn't my favorite toy, you know, that was He-Man and Transformers and all that stuff. But it was actually, uh... Going back to 1992, 1992 or 1993, um, my mom sort of had a tradition. At the end of a school year, she'd usually get me a little gift. It wasn't anything official, but uh, one time we went to the the uh, Arsenal Mall in uh, in Watertown, Massachusetts, and the Arsenal Mall had a store in it called Suncoast, which I think you guys may remember. They sold VHS and laser discs and movie memorabilia. And we went to Suncoast right after the last day of school, and I was so excited, and I saw this thing that I'd, uh, I really wanted, and it was the Star Wars Trilogy Special Letterbox Collector's Edition. So at this point in 1992, it was virtually impossible to find any movies on Letterbox. In fact, I remember when the special editions came out, they also had Letterbox. I worked at Blockbuster Video, another dinosaur of the VHS era, and someone walked up to me and said, Um, do you have that Star Wars in Butterbox? I mean, Letterbox was not really heard of and appreciated and accepted until the rise of uh, rectangular TVs and DVD players. So I thought it was really cool. I was already a movie snob back then. So I really wanted the letterbox edition of Star Wars Trilogy. So it came in this big blue box with this really rad 90s hologram. It came with a fake signature. Uh, it came with a book about George Lucas. And it also came with the documentary from Star Wars to Jedi. And I watched this just nonstop over and over and over again. And... uh that was where I sort of made the real connection to Return of the Jedi and understanding that my own relationship with my father would be filtered through Luke's relationship with Darth and all that stuff. But it all started when my mom decided to just take me to Suncoast for no real reason at the end of a school year and uh, pick that up as a gift. So hug your mom an extra time if she's still around. And if you have kids, 
at the end of the school year, just go out and get them a little gift. It's awesome. It's super duper exciting. Okay, back to Steve and I. Enough of the emotional stuff. I managed not to cry yet. So uh, let's hear what Steve has to say. So Steve, that leaves us only with feedback. Um, <laughs> which I'm not even going to look up because we haven't released the last episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> but I think we're going to have some good feedback with the, the contest that we announced last month. Uh, oh, right. Know, that was the... It came when I uh, interviewed my brother Amos. Oh, oh. So this isn't the, the obscure error in the uh, Johnny Cash song. This is a new one. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, two <laughs> contests. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. I think yeah. we should finish up with Akbar, Steve. Okay. And, uh, and this is what's fun, is your, everything that's in your focus, we've already talked about. <laughs> in some form or another. So yeah. first there's <laughs> the painted hard copy, which yep. we've talked about plenty of painted hard copies. Although I will yes. say that his eyes look particularly yellow. Which is nice. Yeah, they they are very pronounced yellow. <laughs> um, there's a head pole. And I think we've already talked about a head pole in the past. We have. We have. <laughs> uh, there's the revenge mock-up, which we just yep, talked which, about. Yeah, with, yeah. With Luke Jedi. Yep. Although it is neat that they picked Bespin security guard as the closest yeah, yeah. one to Admiral Akbar. So right on the back, it says the name of the figure that was covered over. Why right. was that? Do you think? Well. I, I would guess that just just for some kind of reference point, because, um, you know, I think you guys mentioned it last time, but trying to match their intended color scheme on a previous figure. But in terms of IDing it, maybe just, I mean, just for posterity? <laughs> I don't really know. It's Yeah, um, that's funny. Yeah. Um, a 65A proof card. I suppose very, very the Toy Fair sample we haven't talked about. I, maybe, maybe not. Um yeah, so I mean, this—it's essentially just a, a production 65B carded figure. But what makes it interesting is on the back it has the Velcro that was used to, you know, stick it up on the wall at at Toy Fair, most likely in in 1983. Um, I, I've had that thing for a long time. I don't even remember exactly when I got it, but um, it's it, that—that's one thing with with my Akbar stuff. What I really tried to do was pick up anything, any kind of stage of production that I, I couldn't with the B-Wing pilot. So that's like with the, the hard copy. It's the only painted hard copy I own. Um, and then obviously the revenge mock-up that you're not, I mean, I'm not going to be able to get anything like that for another character. And, and Akbar was just, ha I just got really lucky that, that Tom Nyhazel still had that when I got it. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, but the, the fun stuff for me though lately is, is all, Akbar is one of those characters where there's a bunch of weird junk. Right. That, and this <laughs> that ties into what we were saying at the beginning, that I think yeah. they were really trying to make something out of him. They Absolutely. were really trying to make him kind of an interesting, hot character. Yeah. And I thought yeah. they thought he's really marketable, which right. if they really thought that, they should have made his outfit better. But <laughs> Yeah. So you have um, these so awesome the... Swedish trading cards, Scottish yeah, so Trig. The... So these were actually given to me by Matthias, I think it Celebration, it was the first one in Orlando, so Celebration 5. Um, he knew I was into Akbar stuff, and he just gave these to me. But they're awesome in that they're really small, and they're a thing that you know existed with other properties in Sweden. But these are the first 
you know, fully Star Wars set of cards like this. So, in the, you know, previously you'd have things like Burt Reynolds or uh, ABBA on these kind of trading cards, but then they made a That's full racist. Star Wars set. What did I say? You said ABBA with Swedish. Not all ABBA people are Swedish. <laughs> Sorry. So other other things, I mean, we I don't know if we've ever talked about – I'm sure we talked about the Pepperidge Farm cookies at one point. I want to talk but... about that some other time because I, I okay, want to really get fine. into that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a whole thing unto, unto itself. But I have one of the Akbar molds from that. Um, and then like some of the really – fun stuff like the um the candy heads the, the tops things the other jedi characters but the akbar one just looks particularly strange it is <laughs> super know. weird so <laughs> I, yeah so just look up if if you can't see it just sometime yeah. look up tops akbar candy head and yeah. it's it's like grotesque it is grotesque. Like as grotesque as akbar is just inherently this thing is even more grotesque somehow um and there's yeah, I think there's an article on starwars.com that, that kind of nicely brings them all together. Um and then like more recently like I, I just remember one day I decided I'm going to go to the toy chamber eBay store and see whatever Akbar stuff Todd happens to have. <laughs> and I think I just bought one of everything that he had, which that's where I got like the there's this little mini puzzle from Greece which they actually did a, a whole set of Return of the Jedi mini puzzles. They're like 3 by 4 inch uh, in size, they're done by uh, TH or I think it's Thomas Theophanides. That's an awesome company name. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I think on the archive, there's uh, there's a like a picture of the counter display with with them on there too, which is pretty sweet. Um, and then you have like a British change purse um, by Touchlines. That's another just kind of cheap Touch throwaway Akbar item. Touchline. Touchlines. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then you got a rubber stamp um, from who was who made that? That was uh, I'm forgetting. Oh yeah, Adam Joseph. Um, so I don't know. It's just a lot of lot of like trinkets with, with Akbar, which it's fun. I mean, there's still so much that I don't have. Like I don't have the the figural eraser that we talked about. There's like a cool like figurine paint set um, and all sorts of other weird junk. But um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's a fun little way to to get the like unloved part of my collection focused. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Because yeah. you can get the B wing pilot is so unloved, it's not even unloved. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't even unlove it. Nothing no, that's true. Nothing to look out for, Steve. Would be uh, Hungarian uh, pocket calendars. Right. I figured there had to have been one of those. Yeah, I've, I've never seen one, but I'll be on the lookout. And I think okay. everyone will be on the lookout for for Steve for Akbar stuff. Yeah, I I would much much appreciate it. Um, oh yeah, there was one other <laughs> the tops card with it's not Akbar. It's one of his his uh, fish, fish friends. People that, fish friends, the benevolent creature, which is just <laughs> I don't know. I just cracked up when I first found that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, you had enough Akbar. You got your your fill of fish. I've had my, I've had my filet of fish, and uh, I've had my filet episode. So I think, yeah, I think we can it, it, we're like we're just hitting your your goal right of about two hours. About so. two hours. That's the goal. Yeah. I mean, between two and two and a half hours is is my ideal. Uh, it's, all, it's all good. I guess what I better say is wampa wampa. Adios. With his colorful Star Wars picture display and certificate.